I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello and welcome to Caged In Presents Copla Connections, as ever brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsyllabus. This is episode 58 and we are looking at the film Edward Scissorhands, directed by Tim Burton. If you're new to this here podcast, what we do is we watch every single film in the collective Coppola family filmography to determine if... They are the greatest film family of all time. I don't do that alone, however. I am joined by a guest, and I've got a fantastic guest for you. You may have seen by the runtime of this episode. It's a bit of a long one, but me and me and Scott Croucher, my guest, uh, get really get into it. We get into some fun tangents. We go all over the place. We kind of talk about the evolution of this film, things that you pick up on now that we didn't as kids. And I think that's kind of a key point of this film especially entertainment from our youths and how it how it evolves so yeah that's a big part of this conversation it's really fun a little spoiler warning up front we get into all the nitty gritties of edward scissorhands if you haven't seen this film you can head on over to disney plus and watch it right now or i'm sure you can go in your parents' loft, find that old VHS or that DVD that's knocking about somewhere in one of your family's homes. The admin out of the way, all that's left to do is to grab your Avon magazines, hit the road, get a creepy little man with scissor hands into your house, scare your family, scare the neighbours, and let's make some Coppola connections. On this episode, we learn about the invention of snow with Tim Burton's 1990 fantasy drama film, Edward Scissorhands. The film is written by Caroline Thompson and based on hers and Tim Burton's story. The cast, we see Johnny Depp, Winona Ryder, Diane Weist, Anthony Michael Hall, 
Kathy Baker, Alan Arkin, and Vincent Price. One of the film's art department researchers and our Coppola connection for this episode in her first job in Hollywood is Stephanie Schwartzman. Joining me to discuss this film and see if the Coplas are a cut above the rest in Hollywood as the greatest family of all time, or they are deflated quicker than a popped waterbed, is the host of the Church of Tarantino podcast and one half of the Cheeky Bastards podcast, it's Scott Croucher. How are you, Scott? I am fantastic. How are you, Podfather? I'm, I'm very well. I'm very well. I feel, <laughs> I, like, I've, got to, I've got to say, I feel very weird about that being a nickname at times, but then others, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. I think it's a deserved nickname. Obviously, it plays well into your new podcast journey. However, those people who are your listeners that don't know, how godfather-like you are to a lot of us independent podcasters and how you, without anyone asking to, you will reach out to us and say, hey, reach out to this person or here's the email of this person or you should do this or try that. You have been always very, very kind to me and I know others. So that is why I think we uh, graciously bestow upon you the podfather name. I think you've well-deserved it. Yeah, I've I've got I've got to say this. I, I remember once uh, when when the release of Red Rock West came out that I've got the video essay on. Um, somebody reached out on uh, Twitter, and I'm I feel ashamed at the moment. I can't remember who it was. I remember they posted a photo saying like, "Ah, oh, had to pick up this because Petros has got like a a feature on it," and I was like, "Oh wow." Do you know what I mean that like blows my yeah. mind that somebody would like I got to support like I think they said like the king of the indie podcast scene. I was like, yes. Oh, you are you are very much <laughs> you are very much mistaken as me being that. I'm just uh, a lowly peasant. Well, you are leading the revolt. How's that? We will be yeah. I'll try we'll, be, that. we'll be chopping off the heads of the French <laughs> oligarch at any moment. We'll be, yeah, we'll be, we'll, we'll, we'll be heading to Spotify and, and <laughs> we'll be, we'll be in, we'll be in Texas in no time. Yes, we will. Yeah, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be in Austin. <laughs> we'll be in Austin. <laughs> Jamie will have his teeth smashed in. And, uh, uh, <laughs> bring me the head of Joe Rogan, baby. Uh, that's the revolt I want to see. <laughs> oh god yes death death to the famous people podcast uh, it well, is the ruination of podcasting in my opinion so uh well maybe we'll hear some spicy takes like that in this <laughs> chat but you're known for some spicy takes scott you host the cheeky yes. bastards podcast and yeah obviously the church of tarantino with less spicier take on that. But yes. before we get into our chat today, tell us about those podcasts. So the Church of Tarantino is my baby. It is my true love. It is the one thing that I probably take a bullet for these days. Uh, I have been a fan of Tarantino for 30 years now. Um, he is pretty much the center of my cinematic universe. And what I mean by that is I don't just, you know, I don't just only watch his nine films. I watch all kinds of films, but I think my mind was broadened and opened up to the beauty of cinema when I saw Pulp Fiction in 94 and it's been my cinematic journey since. So when I first met you three years ago, I was thought, hey, we're going to dip our toe into the uh, Nicolas Cage world. There's no one doing that. Wow, are we fucking wrong? So 
And we overdid it. My my former co-host and I, we overdid it. We did two movies a month. We killed ourselves. We were just <laughs> killing ourselves. We did way too much. We tried, you know, we came out swinging for the fences. And, but that's how we met you. And then we, you know, changed directions for over a year. And we did more of a recommendation podcast. And then when my former co-host had to step away because he was having another child and his kind of family was starting to grow and mine is already kind of moved on. They're in their early 20s and now adults and living on their own. I had more free time. And I thought, you know what? I always wanted to do Tarantino. I balked on doing it the first time because I thought everyone's doing a Tarantino podcast. Mm -hmm. What a reverse. Nicolas Cage world is full and the Tarantino world was barren. No one was doing it. <laughs> so I jumped in and now I'm in my second season and I've loved every single moment of it. I've loved our chats that we've gotten to be a part of and all the people I've gotten to meet on this journey has been fantastic. And one of them being Steve Smith, who was a fan, one of our few fans from my recommendation podcast called Watch Us or Die. And he and I have been on, he's been on my show quite a bit. And we decided to start our own because we're both surly middle-aged white men. And who doesn't want to listen to, <laughs> to that? We're, we're like, we're like a, just a little bit younger version of the two curmudgeons from the Muppets and uh, Walter Statler. And we do a podcast called The Cheeky Bastards once a month where we give uh, some unpopular opinions, some spicy opinions, but what we both say is we truly believe them. They're not just, you know, we're not just there for controversies. We're not uh -huh. just saying it just to rile people. We actually, I, especially myself, I don't know about Steve, I think some of he rambles, but we, I research my stuff. I come up with, you know, well thought out ideas that I believed and I just kind of research it and put it together. And yeah, so once a month we talk shit about, or we, uh, we promote something that we think is better. You know, we'll either say this is shit or this and that. So, you know, I, I enjoy both of them. I can have a real serious love fest of Tarantino and then I get a chance to just say things I've always wanted to fucking say and never had a chance to do it in a forum where people just come and listen. Yeah, I always I always feel like I don't know, like the the specter of my name is always on the tip of your tongue anytime that Michael <laughs> Bay is mentioned. Just just because of my just because yes. of my public yes. declarations of, of of my love for ambulance and uh, yes, which was I rated as the worst movie of last year. <sighs> love it, love it, and I'm not I'm not, I'm not having anyone I'm not having anyone <laughs> besmirch. Uh, yeah, let's just say Michael Bay, ladies and gentlemen, has two films in the Criterion Collection. Okay, that's all I'm <laughs> yeah. saying. I'm, that that either says one of two things: that either Michael Bay. Is worth it, or the Criterion Collection is not as superior as we once thought it was. So there's your two choices, right there. Well, you can pick whatever. They're both out of print. I've, I actually, yeah. own, I actually own a French DVD copy of the of Armageddon on Criterion, just because I thought, like, that's really funny to own uh, Armageddon uh, yes. on, on a Criterion. And I very recently picked up The Rock on a Region One DVD. Uh, like in the crowd and it's just it's just it's just crazy it's, it's just crazy that, yeah, that they exist yeah <laughs> well i can't i can't hate totally i mean i don't i'm not a fan of michael bay which is clear as you know however i also am a person who can also respect the fact that i do love the rock i grew i was a young 20s early teenager when the rock came out and i i went to the theater to see that i fucking loved it we all loved it. i mean i mean Honestly, we all went for a Sean Connery. I'm not dispersing the great Nicolas Cage, but the reason that we went to see that movie is Sean Connery with long hair in the trailer, you were hooked. You were hooked. The Connery's going to have long hair, you know? And what's, what's, again, we, it's, it's a funny movie. It's a fun movie. Some of his stuff is, is okay. It's, I think lately him and Cameron have become very pretentious. And uh, most of the stuff they make is just, it's just eye candy crap. And 
you know, it has its place. Like, look, Armageddon's a terrible movie, but it's also one of those fun, terrible movies. Ah, it's, yeah. It's, you know, it's, like, it's, like, uh, like what we both think we both love, I love from your show, um, and uh, we did an uh, episode on it when I was still doing Cage, but I love Drive Angry. Love Drive Angry. It's not a great movie, but it's a great movie. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, like if you know what you're getting in, going into and you're getting in for, it's a brilliant. Same with Deadfall. Awful movie. <laughs> Horrible movie. However, it's you fun. can't help but be fall in love with what Cage is doing in that film. What? You can't help but be sucked into the absurdity and the, the craziness of the story. <laughs> there's a guy with a claw or a hook that was out of fucking nowhere. Like there's things that happen in this year's like, what is happening? Yeah. It was it's what I love, so I can I can respect that. What I love about Armageddon is the fact that it's like on paper, and and the film itself, not even on paper, on screen, it's like jingoistic, it's flag waving, it's emotionally yes. manipulative. <laughs> but yes. you just America. get yeah, you get swept up in it. Still, like, it makes yeah. no fucking sense. Even like. Even the cast pointed it out. Like it's, it, and it's got, Isn't it Ben F, like I said, and I thought, right? Yeah. Ben on, out, he goes, why don't <laughs> and he says it on, on the DVD commentary for it, which is amazing. Oh, like great. It's got one of the best like DVD, uh, do you know what I mean? Like the cast are a couple of beers in recording it, like commentaries <laughs> I've ever heard. Like uh, Ben Affleck is just like, fuck it. I'm just going to say what I want. Like divulges that. Michael Bay basically paid twenty grand to get his teeth fixed because he's like, "Yeah, you ain't got Hollywood teeth, kid. You got you got New Jersey. You got you got Boston teeth. You ain't got you ain't got." Uh, so you don't got you don't got deep core driller teeth, my friend. Yeah, no, no, we, we, they're you pristine. Look, no, that's the thing. His 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 teeth are pristine in that movie. So like, it's like, what what's going on? Why have all these people got immaculate teeth? He's like, oh, because it's a yes. Michael Bay movie, and it's yes. fucking weird. Um. And it would make more sense to train astronauts to drill yes. than drillers to be astronauts. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, of course, but, of course, of course. Yeah. Well, we could we could go down that rabbit hole <laughs> and argue about Michael Bay. Or, Maybe we'll start our own side project once a month. We just oh well, I've I I, I said this. We'll call it sitting on the dock of the bay. Oh, <laughs> sitting on the rock of the bay. Oh, there you go. There you go. Oh, I've I, I, coming I've, this I, summer. I've said this to you personally, and I'll say this publicly, so it holds you and me accountable to this. But right. um, yeah, as I've said to you guys before, I am more than happy to come on Cheeky Bastards to defend Michael Bay. We, yes, we we haven't had a guest yet, so we we should, we probably should. That that would be fun. I, I'm all for it. Like I I love what I love about the Cheeky Bastards is I actually want people to like death threat us like i really do i want to see i want to have somebody get so upset that someone has an opinion opposite of theirs about a movie that it really ruins their day because while at the end of the day i believe the things i say at the same respect if you like michael bay and get your fucking rocks off then you know what watch all the fucking michael bay movies you want feel free it's just one man's opinion. Yeah. It doesn't mean that uh you know you and i have to fight over it you know like if you love ambulance and you found joy in it Man, you know what? Enjoy it. Yeah. But you and I will not be watching Ambulance together, or at least with the same take on it. That's for sure. You know, so I I'm totally fine with that. It's like when, you know, being a Tarantino fan or when we do Nicolas Cage, you know, they're going to have some real outliers who just hate it for hate's sake and want to take a shit on them. And that's okay. I just prefer you come at me with or come at us with a reason. You know, mm -hmm. it's easy to say, 
fuck this guy, fuck this movie, he sucks, you suck. Give me reasons why. So we can talk, have a dialogue. And if you still don't like him, cool. At least we had a dialogue about it and we had some fun about it. That's the only, you know, even with Steve and I go back and forth with, you know, with the very first episode, I'm sure you're going to bring up something about your Coppola. But we had a good lively debate about it, you yeah. know, and it's it's fun. It's it's fun to talk about movies. I think that's why we do podcasting because it's just fun to have that conversation. Well, yeah, I, I, sh I, really should, I really should bring this up. I probably should have brought this up before the Michael Bay thing, to be honest, because... You were letting your listeners in slow before they start to hate me. It's well, perfectly fine. Just, no, 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 no. I can, I, 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 I can, I can see your point. Like, like, obviously, mm -hmm. you can see. Yeah, you, you have your opinions on things. I have my opinions on things, and uh, but I can, I can also, I can also see that you're wrong here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I, I, I. I That's an English thing. Steve says to me all the time. He goes, "Everyone's, everyone's entitled to my opinion, to his opinion." So, <laughs> well, no, I, 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 I definitely see your point on this, but I, I feel like. You don't get one without the other. Um, so, what is what is the opinion that you that you posed uh, yes. on your first episode of Cheeky Bastards? First episode, my opinion was that Goodfellas is a better movie than The Godfather, and what I meant by better, more enjoyable to watch, a just a better telling of the story. And I go through it quite a bit. However, I do preface it and say that I love The Godfather. As we and I were talking, I love all three Godfathers, and I enjoy them. However, they are long, tough watches. It's like watching Schindler's List. There's no joy. There's not a lot of joking. There's not a lot of laughter. There's not a lot of fun going on in it. Also, probably because I'm from New York. Not I'm not from the city, so I'm not going to pretend I'm one of those guys. You know what I mean? But I respond better to the Goodfellas as well because it's more relatable in my way, I'm also blue collar, so it's more relatable than the 1%, the 2% that is what the Godfather is. They're the established family. Mm -hmm. They're living in the lush houses. You know what I mean? They're the established family where these guys are a bunch of fucking schlubs trying, you know, they're breaking each other's balls. It just was more relatable to me and my sensibilities. Mm -hmm. So again, I totally love the Godfather. But if I had a choice, someone said, which one would you rather watch? I'll probably pick Goodfellas nine out of 10 times because I know I'm going to be able to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do the whole you mean I'm, I'm funny? How? how? How am I funny? I yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> we can do that whole thing. Like, Pesci's, um, it's electric in it. It's fantastic. So, but I wouldn't, you know, I was disappointed. Like last year, wasn't it the 50th anniversary of The Godfather? Yeah, yeah. And it didn't make a 50th anniversary round in my area, well, which I was surprised. Yeah, I figured well, like, it would make a reissue and hit the theaters again. And I would, would have gone and they, and they missed that boat. So that was a little upsetting. Cause I was like, what the fuck? This is, how do you miss 50? They reunited the the Oscars. Kiss Rock gets slapped, and now we don't get the 50th anniversary. And what happened there? Well, you know, I, I like, well, uh, yeah. slapped it out of existence. My local cinema, over like the space of a month, like did all three of them, like screened all three of them, and like I think they've all kind of had 4K restorations. So yeah, got to watch. Yeah, got got to watch all four of them, and uh, all three of them. Sorry. Um, but going back to the Godfather, what I yeah. say, especially the first one is rewatch it i watched it uh like three times last year in like preparation for doing an episode on it is it's 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 actually it's actually more funny than like i think people remember it like there is some, like some 
there is some right fun stuff in there. I, I I do see what you mean. There is like some kind of there is an element of it of feeling like you're eating your vegetables. But I think like <laughs> there's like 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 the Clemenza stuff and like stuff in there yeah. and Pantangeli in the second one. Like the second one is pretty like because that is a man's descent into hell. So it's not a, yes. that's not a fun movie. But yeah, I think I think Goodfellas is one of like the most rewatchable movies ever in that like do you yeah. know what I mean you can kind of step into that movie half half hour in an hour in and you're just like fuck it I'm watching the rest of this like yeah. five minutes yeah. in he's, he's flicking t- TV channels like yeah yeah I'm, I'm, I'm watching Goodfellas but yeah I, I personally think and I think it's hard to argue that do you get Goodfellas without kind of Coppola opening the gates for especially a great question especially I mean it really is a great question well, it's, it's, it's especially like mobster movies made by the Italian American community. Like up until that point, yeah. it would have been like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, the, 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 the American Jewish directors, directors in, in, yeah, like uh, noir crime films and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been people who kind of have that. Not that Coppola and Scorsese have firsthand experience, but yeah, they do understand the Italian American experience and they kind Agreed. of understand the culture and kind of yeah they're probably both of them only a few kind of steps away from knowing people yeah who actually know these kinds of guys do you know what I mean so it's like it, it's a great question I would love to find out I would love to hear a, a question asked to Scorsese to see if he made Goodfellas because the Godfather was made so much earlier. Because, you know, at the time the Godfather was made, he's making his, you know, his taxi driver, his mean streets. Well, like, he's working low in the criminal ranks, but he has, you know, he's not going full on, you know, this is the family so stuff. Origi- it would be great to know if, if you know, how much of a influence well, just like, getting uh, Godfather and one and two made. Or did he give it some breath because he didn't want to try to you know what I mean? Pi- like come up with a good fella story or movie so close to the Godfather. Like that's hard to compete when you jump 16 years down the road easier, you know, especially the eighties in the eighties. How much, how many real mobster movies do we really yeah. get in the eighties, you know? And then, so there was such a space and different time frame from what the seventies films and nineties films became. I wonder how much of that, you know, did play into Goodfellas even getting made is whether, um, did Coppola or did, yeah, did Coppola help, make it happen or did Coppola help push it further back because of how significant well, Cop- the Godfathers are. Well Coppola wanted wanted Scorsese to direct part two. Like yeah. he kind he said to Paramount like I don't want to do it and they they kind of like forced his hand and he, he kind of used used leverage and was like, well <laughs> I want you to basically finance me to make this little independent movie I want to make the conversation and that like it's kind of like well you make that you make Godfather Part 2 for us but he he wanted Scorsese to do it so I imagine there's like an element of Scorsese that yeah. if that was floated to him by Coppola maybe there was like a bit of like ah oh, man I feel a bit burnt about this and kind of didn't want to didn't want to yeah. step into that territory for a while and kind of and I think, would I think, it have been I think, the movie would scores would scores like you know because when you get Coppola doing number two, you keep that through line that that uh, the author you know the original creator as you see with Batman movies Batman and Batman Returns it's Burton after that those two fall off the freaking you know off the cliff right I mean because you lose your original star anyways 
So if Scorsese stepped in, it still would have been a great movie, but would it have had the same voice? You know, because, because uh, again, sensibilities, you know, you've got a guy who's from California area, lives in, a, in an area a little bit more, you know, uh, uh, rich, where we got a guy straight out of New York City. So how much of the New York attitude is he bringing to this? And would it change the theme and, and feel of the Godfather part two had Scorsese, you know, yeah. been the one to direct it? Yeah, it would it would it would have been it would have been an interesting thing, and I think it's one of those speculative things that I'm glad it I'm glad it panned out that the way it did. Yeah, because we probably would. Because I don't got... think he does Goodfellas if he does Godfather Part Two. No. I don't think Goodfellas ever comes to life. No, I think I think in an alternate universe somewhere in the Rick and Morty timelines of the alternate universes, <laughs> Martin Scorsese directed Godfather Two, and there's no Goodfellas. Yeah, and there's, I'm glad I don't live. I'm just glad I don't live in that you, that reality. I'm glad I live in this one because that's a fantastic reality. And, to be pro- and probably in that we don't get we don't get apocalypse now either because because nope. Coppola kind of doesn't get that bump blank check that Oscar yeah. win and kind of like is untouchable to be able to go out to the Philippines for two years and do whatever the fuck oh, he that's wants. one of my favorite movies ever <laughs> oh god it's just it's brilliant it's well, a brilliant fucking thing well on 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 that topic and we're kind of like skirting around this so let me ask you when did you become aware of the Coppola family like who was your entry point and when did you kind of realize well there's loads of them out there so I became aware of Coppola himself with Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. So Godfather 1 and 2 come out before I'm born. Apocalypse Now comes out after I'm born. But again, I'm a child of the 80s, so I probably know The Outsiders before I know Godfather. You know, I hear God, about Godfather. You hear about it. You hear people making things, but I'm too young. I'm not yeah. seeing it. So eventually I get a VCR copy in the late 80s, and I can see that. But Apocalypse Now, I was a big war movie fan, especially Vietnam War movie. Um, and Apocalypse Now blew me the fuck away. Just <laughs> to this day, it's, I just un, it's unbelievable. And then as you get older, you watch the documentary on it and you get even more blown away because you're just like, how the fuck was this movie even made? Like, yeah. there's no there's no reason this movie exists. Like, when you look at what they went through, there's zero reason that movie should exist. And then I realized that he actually had a family and I didn't know Nicolas Cage was a part of it until much later on. Um, I knew he had a family when his daughter was in a was in a Godfather Three. Uh-huh. That's when I was like, "Oh, okay." And then you know, a couple years later, she starts making movies, and I go, "Oh, okay." You know, because at the time, look, I was young. Yeah, yeah. So I'm around her age at that point. I was like, "Damn, she's pretty hot." You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, she's pretty, she's pretty fine. I'm like, all right, how are you doing, Sophia? Um, and so. I didn't know Nick was a part of it till probably mid mid nineties when it came. I think it came out in something. I forget what it was. They had to be like a like an e entertainment news weekly magazine or, or you know something that all of a sudden you realize that hey Nicholas Cage probably around the time he had his two summers in a row where he brings yeah. out you know he's got face off the rock and he does um Connor and Connor when he does those three as you call them the beige uh, beige oh was beige Volvo yeah. uh, trilogy then all of a sudden you're like he's like. You know, he's like the guy, you know, he's, he's supplanted Schwarzenegger and the rock or and, uh, Rambo, Rambo and uh, Stallone as the new action guy. And so at that point, I think then it's like, oh, hey, did you know that he was also a Coppola? And you're like, holy shit, you know, like yeah, yeah, didn't yeah. even, you know, those two don't come. So, and, you know, I think also it takes a while because, you know, obviously me being a Gen Xer, the internet doesn't happen. 
and you don't get the influx of information to almost 2000. Like we have early stuff, but you know, it's a lot of trying to Napster. It's a lot of trying to download porn. It's a lot of dark. <laughs> the, the web starts off very dark in its earliest forms. Like everyone's trying to do the most seedy things you can imagine when the web first starts before you, you know, people are starting to do these Wikipedias and stuff. So it was probably, um, my first was the outsiders. First real love of his film was the apocalypse. Now, Realized he had child when she was pretty hot in uh, Godfather Three, and then Nick Cage the two summers back to back. Nice. When he when he becomes the guy, then you realize, holy shit, there's more than just uh, just Mister Fork Coppola. Yeah, well, this and is- actually, I thought Nick was his son for a while. I didn't realize he was a cousin. Yeah, you know, in my head, like it just didn't make sense. Like yeah, I was like, oh, nephew. Yeah, like, oh yeah. wow, he's yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then obviously, yeah, you got Talia Shire, you got that whole like branch of the family. With yes. the, well, as we get to with the Schwartzmans that we're going to be uh, discussing today. Uh, have you ever met a Coppola, Scott? I wish. I wish I could <laughs> say yes, but no. You know what? How about this? I don't know that I haven't. There's that too. I didn't know there was. I didn't know there was so many. So I, I don't know that I haven't met a Schwartzman or any one of these people. It's a possibility, but to my best knowledge, I have not officially known. That I've met one of them. Yeah, you could have been. I, you could have been. You could have been in the city one day, and you could have. I, I imagine Jason Schwartzman probably spends a lot of time uh, in New York. He seems like the kind of guy who would frequent. I fell frequent in love with him for Rushmore. I loved him in Rushmore so much. Oh, so good. You know what? I'll meet, maybe I'll meet one of his kids, not Schwartzman, but Nick's kids. Because when he dies, I'm going to go to New Orleans. I'm not. I'm not not going to go to the pyramid in New Orleans when yes. he gets buried. Oh, of course. Yeah, right. Of course, him. So. I'll yell out whatever his kids' names are. So yeah, I'll maybe be, I'll meet him then. I'll be there. I'll, I'll, I'll be I'm lead, sure you will. I'll be I'll be we'll drive pro- down together. I'll be leading the procession. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it'll, be, it'll be a full New Orleans There'll affair. be a family there'll procession, be, and then there'll be the Caged In podcast procession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have, I'll have the marching band going. Do you know what I mean? They'll be doing a, they'll be doing a marching band <laughs> version of the theme. It'll be a cosplay. We'll all be dressed up as one of his characters. Yeah, yeah it'll be amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be amazing. We have a. I think it would be. Yeah, can't. No, I can't wait for it. Yeah, we get morbid. But you mean we don't want him to die anytime soon? Of course not. Of course not. When he when he finally does at two hundred years old, you know, well. When we realize he, we realize, <laughs> we realize he really is Dracula. Yeah, when we realize on. we're dying, and it's like, oh no. Yeah, it always reminds me of that. Have you seen that photo from like the 1800s of a guy who looks exactly <laughs> like him? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would be it. Uh, so, this is a weird one because we're talking about Stephanie Schwartzman today. Yes. And she's kind of had like some small, small parts in some big films, like her kind of. She's got like a really impressive small CV. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah, we've got Edward Scissorhands that we're going to be talking about. Cold Heaven, Memoirs of an Invisible Man, Born Yesterday, Edward, A Little Princess, and The Birdcage, which for seven movies to be a part of is pretty yeah, impressive. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, which one of those would have been the first one you would have seen? Edward Scissorhands. Okay. Hands down, yep. I'm, I'm a big Tim Burton, especially early Tim Burton stuff. Wow. We were talking about the the first four with Coppola's first four. Uh, there's a there's a good four run now. I don't know that it keeps with Coppola's, but when you've got Bat, when you've got Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, and Batman Returns as four movies back to back, it's pretty pretty damn impressive. It's, it's not run. the Godfather apocalypse now, but it's it's a you know you you wouldn't sneeze at it. You you'd be pretty happy with that as your as four films you put together. Yeah, it's a 
It's a good little run. I actually saw Batman Returns in the cinema just before Christmas. It was so fun. Such a I'd kind of forgotten what a horny movie that is. Just yeah, I'm so like, glad uh, he's returning in that Flash movie. Yes, I really am. I cannot wait to see Keaton in the cowl again. I'm so excited. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Like, who knows what we're gonna get with that movie? Oh, Michael, I know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. If you're DC, are you not a little nervous that it's gonna be a fantastic film and your lead star is just a crackpot? You can't use them anymore. Like, like you have gold in your hand. Finally, DC gets a film franchise that was worth something, and they first movie out they have to get rid of it because their star is a fucking wacko well that's the the kind of stars of their like t- next two films so obviously yeah we have ezra miller and they've kind of come out to be you know, yeah like uh, an alleged mm-hmm. like kidnapper <laughs> and like just causing mayhem all, all, all over the place yeah. and then you have zachary levi the star of shazam who's like some big trumper anti-vaxxer just kind of you the day he started tweeting stuff it was like you can see the dc kind of do you know what I mean like yeah. pr team going no do you know what I mean like we, yeah. we've been trying to put out these fires for the last 18 months like just cut us a fucking break like, like james gunn just announced the slate okay let's kind of like let's dampen the noise <laughs> of all this shit <laughs> Well, look, before we get before we get like trapped in a rabbit hole of kind of yes, yeah, I apologize. That's, entertainment. That's, my, that's what happens when you have a Tarantino person on. No worries, I'm, we're going to go nonlinear. We're going to we're going to go everywhere. Yeah, yeah and that's why someone shoot Marvin in the face before this episode's over. <laughs> it's going to happen. That's why. That's why I'm here to just pull it, pull it, pull it back. I'm the. I'm the Roger Avery to your Quentin Tarantino. Okay, <laughs> I'm the, I'm the one getting none of the credit and do, do, get, get, getting things <laughs> so, on track. So, so so true, <laughs> so unfair, so unfair for him. Um, so let's talk about Edward Scissorhands. change for you, right, Ed? Those things are cool. Can I bring show and tell on Monday? He's a highly imaginative character. It seems clear that his awareness of what we call reality is radically underdeveloped. Eddie, you take my very breath away. Do you have a girlfriend? (laughs) Is there some special lady in your life? Skewered kid. Just a scratch. The power of Satan is in him. I can feel it. All along, I felt in my gut there was something wrong with him. From Tim Burton comes the most incredible tale of a most unusual character. Edward Scissorhands. Hold me. 
So, Scott, when would yes, you have sir. first seen Edward Scissorhands? You son of a bitch. You just want to know my age. I would have seen it in the theaters when it came out. That's I right. would have seen this in the theaters. Yes, sir. I'm that old. Thank you. Yes. Oh, no. This would have been. This would have yes, Cajun fans. I am oh. in my late 40s now. Well, and I would have seen this when it came out in my teens, for sure. Yep. But this this, this would have been what? This would have been a PG-rated movie? So you could have seen this as a young oh, age. Yeah, I think um, well, this came out in 1990, right? Yeah. I would have been, depending. Yeah, it came out in the sp- summer or fall. I would have been 14 going on 15 when this came out. Yeah, I, could, I saw it. Well, this, the, 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 let's talk about this. So some stats on this one. Yeah. This film came out December 7th, 1990, so the end of the year. Wow, four days before my 15th birthday then. So I was almost 15 when I saw there this There you movie. go. Or I was 15 when I saw this movie, probably. This was made on a budget of $20 million and had a box office return of $86 million, but it's gone on to become a cult hit staple for many people. It's kind of watched year in, year out by many people. And for... For me, I I hadn't watched this in absolute years before rewatching it for the podcast. I don't know why. Like there might be a kind of inbuilt memory as a kid of like I'm rewatching the movie, and especially rewatching that trailer because I'm pretty sure that trailer we just we just had is the exact trailer I would have seen on VHS tapes <laughs> growing up, and. I remember it frightening me, especially like in the trailer and, and in the movie, that reveal of Edward when when yeah. like Diane Weist comes yeah. into the house. <laughs> I was terrified. I yeah. was absolutely terrified. It is one of those films that I'll make some statements as I would in the Cheeky Bastards. Um, I think it's Johnny Depp's best performance he's ever done. He and, I know a lot of people are like, oh, what about Jack Sparrow on this night? Yeah, yeah. Look, Johnny, I love Johnny Depp. Um, and him, 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 him playing an alcoholic pirate is not a stretch. Like that is literally who Johnny Depp is every day. You know, he may not have the voice, but Johnny Depp is pretty much an alcoholic pirate at this point in his life. But in 1990, a very young Johnny Depp, an almost unknown Johnny Depp, except for 21 Jump Street and stuff and a few other movies, he is spectacular as Edward. He is haunting it is sad it's heartbreaking um mike i mean everyone wants to you know give uh brandon lee the crow the uh you know like the the dawn of what would be called the i guess you call it now the emo but the goth goth era of the 90s i really believe it's tim burton and edward scissorhands uh-huh. is the birth of goth well, um well, he we- is just i mean when you watch it like when you watch it today there's, especially now that you don't watch it as a kid, it, it like every you watch it with different eyes every time you see the movie, even as you go up and get older yeah. in your life. Like, but there's just something that just hits your core. It is just it's a beautiful love story. We've all, especially if you're a person who was not good with the ladies, young or something like, you feel Edward, like you know how he feels when he's you know up against I forget her uh, boyfriend's name. Jimmy. Played by the great Anthony Michael Hall, especially for people who don't know Anthony Michael Hall from the '80s and how he was the young geeky dork. All of a sudden, he's like this buff, yeah. fucking studge. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you got you go like, from what Breakfast Club. He on? Go from Breakfast he's the original Club to glow this. up. Yeah, you yeah. know, like everyone talks about a glow up. Like Anthony Michael Hall had a glow up in the '90s, and so we've all lost out the girl to the dork to or to the jockey asshole, 
And you, you always go, why is she with him kind of thing? And it's just he, and you know, even in the trailer when she says, hold me, and he says he can't. Like, there is so much emotion that can tap into depending on, you know, where your life has gone, especially in your romantic interludes that he really, you know, that Johnny Depp really just taps into. And it's a very nuanced visual performance. And you're, this is a Cage podcast. And if anyone knows how to do that, it's Nicholas fucking Cage. Yeah, yeah. Like Nicholas Cage knows how to do pig. You don't have to say a whole lot and you can emote a whole lot no, of emotions without it. You before, know? before we get too deep into it, can you give us a synopsis of what this movie is about? This movie is about an outsider who exposes, whether the town knows it or not, the uh, the trap that they have for themselves, that they're, they're not even happy in their own lives. He kind of brings out a new joy and, and kind of flips everything upside down for them. That's what happens. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, can you, can, can you give us like a kind of, yeah, like a synopsis for the movie? Like what, 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 what kind of happens? Like what's the kind of setup for this movie? Oh, so a, 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 a person or a thing, as he says, a character, we don't know what Edward Suzanne is. We don't know if he's alive, if he's a human, if he's part robotic, if he's part, he's, he's, he's Frankenstein's monster. It's the new Frankenstein's monster. Mm -hmm is unfortunately left alone and he stays hidden because he's secluded. And a woman who's selling Afon, which I don't think that's sold much anymore door to door, finds him and just says, you're coming home with me. And that is the end of it. It, it uh, He interacts with a society who doesn't understand him. He is new and shiny until he no longer is new and shiny. And then he becomes the enemy quickly. Mm -hmm. And he's just that, he's like every story where He's, he's he's there before his, his time. He's he's a star ahead of his time. He's a person who is misunderstood, but yet that misunderstanding makes him like this magnet for people to just want to be a part of. And when they realize they can't get anything out of them for their own personal needs, he now becomes Frankenstein. Yep. And he's chased off back to his mountain. And yet he's still alive many years later mm -hmm. if you watch the movie and he's still the same age. So he's not human. He I don't, you he's know, made. like just the story itself. He's something. He's made of something, but he's not. Yeah, not an actual man. Yeah, yeah. He's made he, by Vincent Price's the inventor. Like, character. He's so like, good in that movie. So good in that movie. What, Even though he's in it for a little bit. What, what? 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 I found fascinating, like on on this watch, is the kind of the acceptance of Edward to begin with, and like, like you say, he's this new shiny thing for people, and like, I can, I can almost envisage tim burton kind of acting out some kind of fantasies of his own in, in this movie with with this idea of being an outsider and imagine like i don't know and i guess i guess some of it is kind of lived experience of that thing of oh if, if you're that goth kid and you're a bit different like you're a novelty to begin with until people yeah. like I don't know, for whatever reason, you start talking about like old monster movies and Edward movies and they start going, oh, this guy's weird. Like, get the fuck out of it kind of thing. And like, yeah, you're watching these like beautiful women or like these women that you find attractive and like kind of like have a connection with like off with these jocks and stuff like that. Like, and I, like, I know he has said like the kind of uh, the the end for Jimmy in this film is like kind of him actually 
writing in like a fantasy, like almost acting out a fantasy of 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 his as a kid. Like, yeah, f- fuck the jocks. Like, I'm gonna get my revenge mm-hmm. through through my movie, which is like good on you, Tim. But like, I, f- I find it fascinating that kind of yeah that that acceptance of Edward to begin with. And one thing I noticed on this watch as well is it's almost like to begin with. I didn't realize like. Once we get past the prologue of um, an, a, like a, a an adult Kim telling mm-hmm. her granddaughter the like beginning the fairy tale that it was of of how snow was invented, is how kind of Lynch esque it is. Like it's, it's very like David Lynch to begin with. Like the kind of the view of suburban America and this kind of like yeah, it definitely is uh, Tim Burton's opinion on 50s slash 80s suburban white America and the mundane that a lot of people have. The men work, women stay home, and then the women are bored and become housewives. And some sell Avon and some try to rape every single male that comes (laughs) at their door for whatever reason. And then the men come home and all the women have to rush home to make sure they have their dinner for them. And they all have barbecues together. And then on the weekends, the men go golfing all at the same time. And, and then you bring someone in and, you know, it's all pastel colors, like really reminiscent of like the eighties and also some of the fifties. And you have this, his basically turning a mirror on that part of America, you know, middle-class white America when there was still a middle-class white America and the mundane life that they kind of worked. And then you bring someone in who's not like that mm-hmm. and it flips upside down. It's exciting. It breaks them from their norm. Mm. They now no longer have to live. So now there's something exciting. Like if you watch it again, all the yard work in the beginning of the movie is awful. Nothing gets done. Like <laughs> the tr- like the bushes aren't trimmed. Like it's like the grass isn't really mowed that well. Once Ed starts coming around and starts, you know, using his his magical fingers and starts, you know, <laughs> just cutting everything into animals Topiary, and things. Yeah, yeah. It becomes a whole new place. Like it, there's a new life to it and everyone gets excited. And then of course, as it always happens, when you upset the the norm for too long, it has to go back. The pendulum swung too far and now it's got to swing back. And so now we've got to push it away because it's too dangerous for us. Like we, we, you know, we start to see a side of us that we aren't comfortable becoming. We don't want to be the real people. We have to get back to our, yeah. normal routine I, you know this is how we want to live and that's you know that's definitely tim burton shining that kind of mirror on america and again it's not like that much well i'm sure there's certain parts but it's it's i mean america as you know has changed but that really was what it was kind of like back in those times like for my parents who grew up in the 50s and then me who grew up in the 80s that is they're a very similar type of um, of growing up. It's a very similar type of America, a Wally Beaver type of America that he's kind of knocking down with some scissors. Well, I don't like, that's the thing. Uh, Tim Burton has said, like, he's not trying to pass judgment on suburban America. And I know that he grew up in Burbank and like wanted, this is basically like his kind of, twisted version and he said like the film kind of looks the way it does because it's almost like it's through the eyes of edward so everything kind of is a bit heightened and a bit like yes a a bit weird like um but yeah he didn't want to pass judgment either way of like this way of life he just wanted to like not say it's bad necessarily but more say like how weird is it do you know i mean like this kind of this who's the the real weird one the guy in the leather with the scissors 
or the people living uh, on the you know down the hill from him. Well, I, I guess it's it, it taps into that outsider mentality, right? Is when you're out of the norm, and I don't like I yeah, I consider myself like a bit of an outsider. Like I think when it when when you kind of line me up against. Mo- do you know what I mean most yeah most quote unquote normal people in society <laughs> like my interests kind of sway out of that do you know what I mean kind of being like yeah. this deep into movies and films and stuff like that and like kind of pop culture is not what people are, are actually like they're kind of like oh, I just want passive entertainment do you know what I mean I just kind of want to mm-hmm. be able to sit down like oh yeah like get it into my eyes and, and move on like I imagine, yeah, like most people, I start kind of having the detailed, in-depth conversations that I have on this podcast or have with like my friends in real life and stuff like that. <laughs> you start to see people's eyes glaze over and yeah, all, all the way from, I've, I've always been a bit different. Like I've kind of been into alternative music and all, 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 all sorts of stuff. I got to dress the way I want to dress. Do you know what I mean? Whether that's kind of, yeah, I don't know. At, at the moment, I kind of look like an 80s dad <laughs> but like, yeah that's, that's not really how most people dress in the in, in the uk at the moment not, especially not where i live but like i think it ta- yeah it taps into that thing of when you are an outsider you look at the norm and go well, that's weird why why would yeah. you want to why would you want to live like that and i guess it, it even taps into that like creative thing and it kind of like feels like a personal film from tim burton where it's like oh yeah I know Burbank is very close to to Hollywood, like uh, stuff like that. But like, even still, like if you're in, if you live in the suburbs, and like people are just happy with their mundane, everyday life. If you've got aspirations, and I know that Tim Burton did have aspirations as like a, from a kid to be mm-hmm. like a be a movie director. It's like you're looking at these people going, "You're weird. Why aren't yeah. you trying to do?" Quite, quite, do something with your life. Do you know what I mean? Like, why are you content with this kind of monotonous nine to five living? Do you know yeah. what I mean? He, and like, almost, yeah, Edward is an avatar for him, right? Because it's like. Absolutely. Everything Edward does is artistic. It's everything he does. Whether he's gardening, whether he's cutting dog hair, whether he's cutting people's hair, Everything he does with his scissors, whether it's the what well, we've come to make the snow, he's making ice sculptures. Everything Edward touches with his hands is artistic and creative, which is exactly and everything about the suburbia. I don't know if that's a bad thing, but the, he is the creative force. He is what brings change. He is what brings more beauty to it because they lack that. They they are the mundane. It's the nine to five. Got to make the donuts like we used to have over here in America with our Dunkin' Donuts commercials. Got to make the donuts. It's the same thing. You do it every day. You get up, you punch in, you, you do your job, you punch out, you come home, you have your beer on the couch, your wife makes the food, you watch a couple of TV programs, you take your shit, you go to bed. You do it again the next day. And on the weekends, you go golfing with your buddies, you watch football or something. You know what I mean? It's the same old every day where Edward comes in and it's completely different. He is completely different. I think he's just showing that you need that, you know, I think he's, it is a personal story showing that art is beauty. And he was, and he wasn't seen as that. He was seen as this dark, scary person because of how he looked. But at the end of the day, he brought real beauty because of his artistic ability. Yeah. And it, and it's kind of saying like, you need those quote unquote weirdos yeah. to, to, to make this stuff, to make this stuff yeah. that you find beautiful. Do you know what I mean? Like, 
Yeah. You've got to be you've got to be an outsider and kind of really driven creatively to make a move. So yeah, with agreed. like with it's almost like saying without these people, you don't get these things you enjoy. And the kind of metaphor in here is like you don't get to enjoy snow without a character like Edward. Yes. And it's yes. like without a Tim Burton, without like kind of movie directors to be different from mm-hmm. everyday people you don't get this stuff so it's like it's almost like grabbing suburban america by like the kind of lapels and going like stop like stop fucking giving <laughs> shit to these people like and like yeah because they're the yeah. one they're the ones who do you know what i mean like this would have been around the same time like yeah you've got <laughs> you've got this decimation of suburban america then what you've got on abc you've got david lynch doing it with twin peaks do you know what i mean again a very yeah. similar and like yeah. that's what i like watching this i was like i kind of forgotten how dark this film can be like subtly yeah. and kind of like overtly at times and kind of yeah like how it's just kind of just weird in general it's just like kind of like it's it's a weird film like even like down to the acting and stuff like that it kind of it feels dreamlike and it feels fairy tale like, but like I don't know. Watching it again, I was like, I don't really think apart from like Lynch. Yeah, I can't really like I can't can't think of anything I've seen that's yeah. like it. Really, it's 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 really it's really great stuff. He also, if you notice, who is the one person who feels for him and then tries to help protect him? It's the black police officer. Yeah. You want to talk about feeling out of place and someone who can understand. I mean, there's, it's, it's subtle. Like it's not, you know, it's not an over the, you know, bashing over the head with it, but it's not an accident that the only real character outside of the nice family, but the only real character who also gets it, who, who doesn't know Edward, but understands his, his place there immediately in that area and how dangerous it can be for him because it, he's different. And once they turn on you because you're different, it doesn't go well is, black police officer who realizes you know what that's why he pretends that he's you know shot him and he's good to go and you know like he wants him he knows he feels for him he knows that there's something you know he knows that what it's like to be the outsider and how quickly you can go from being the the cool new person to the get this fucker out of your pitchforks and torches and you know coming for people so yeah i just it's a i you know when i was younger didn't notice that but this next last watch through and stuff with especially you go wow that was Tim Burton being real subtle about that. That was like a real, like, not, a, yeah. I, and, you know, just, well, yeah, there's just a lot, of, there's a lot of imagery there. There's that exchange when he's like, I could be up all night worrying about you. Like, yeah. just make sure you're okay. Like, he kind of gives him a pep talk before he's kind of mm-hmm. put back out onto the streets once he's arrested. Like, yeah. And it's kind of, yeah, I think, I think, I think this film kind of has roots in very much in the Frankenstein story, but also in stuff oh, like, yeah. There's almost like traces of um, Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet. And there's traces of um, To Kill a Mockingbird as well, in a weird yeah. way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Again, of this kind of, you, you think that someone's a, a, a monster and like they're not, whether it's like the Boo Radley character or, yeah. or the kind of the black gentleman in that who's kind of like, he's not the, he's not like, they're, they're like the kind of, yeah, what what the town sees the bogeyman, and what the children see yeah. the bogeyman aren't, and like that's what that's what like the character of Edward is. Do you know what I mean? Like he's he's yeah. kind of 
and he's set up through his innocence and there's like an innocence to edward that's kind of beautiful like the way he's kind of the the yeah when when he's when he's pressured into robbing jimmy's house and they're like oh he yeah they they stolen some of my stuff we need to get it back he's like oh well why don't you just go speak to their parents and it's like so so sweet and innocent and childlike and it's like oh, but yet man. he tells her also that he knew it was his house and then she said why'd you still do it and he goes well because you asked me to like it is that like it's innocence but it's also the things that you would do for someone that you know like you're in you know in love with and you know just crazy about and you know he sees her as this you know I mean, she's the complete, you know, if you notice, she's the complete contrast of him, right? So he's pale skin, everything black and dark, and she's like a blonde hair and a little bit of a little tanned, and she's wearing bright colors. Like she's the complete contrast opposite of him. And that's kind of the point of the opposite attract kind of story of it. But like he sees her, and as soon as he sees her, as soon as he sees her in a picture, he's in. He's just, he's enamored with her. He's never seen anything as beautiful as her before. Yeah. So. It's just, you know, it, it's another, it's a great subtle love story too. You know, it just, it just really is. What, one of the things as well that on this rewatch is just how, how, how greatly funny this film is. And it's kind of like, <laughs> it, it uses some of those like great, great things we get in movies, like that kind of culture clash comedy. And it does a lot of that stuff. Like I kind of love all the things of him being like introduced to the world and like, introducing all the complications you would have if you had scissors for hands and stuff yeah. like that like <laughs> the waterbed stuff is just great whether it's the first time um, oh the first dinner <laughs> he's trying to get the yeah, peas, trying to eat the peas <laughs> like or, or like him showing off to like the kids at, at show and tell with yeah with doing the like kind of uh paper like uh paper, paper angels yeah yeah. yeah yeah it's like amazing like that that, that that all of that stuff's like so well realized in kind yes. of i think helps with the kind of gut punch of the emotional yeah. stuff throughout the film as well well how great is alan arkin he is the comic relief oh, he amazing. is he's unreal in this movie he's just he's the perfect replication of what like a tv dad is supposed to be he's so calm he's always always got like he's you know about was it selling cookies like you know you can't buy a car selling cookies he's just Everything and he never raises his voice. He never gets too upset. He's just always even keel, but he's always got the you know the word of the wise. And you know, it's just uh, I don't know. Alan Arkin, I enjoyed him even more this time through than I ever had yeah. before because uh, just how per perfect he is. Uh, just, Edward, perfectly cast. Edward, it's it's time to learn about morals. If yeah, you find yeah. a, if you find a case full of money, there's not a human soul around. What you gonna do? <laughs> and just Alan Arkin's oh. like delivery as well. It's a lovely. He's yeah, got, he's got one of those like all-time voices that's like yeah. <laughs> amazing. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. Like Diane Weist as well. Like phenomenal. I know she was one of the first people to sign on to this and really bought into. Oh, she was great. Bought into Tim Burton's yeah. vision. Like, and it's kind yeah. of she, she fits it perfectly because she's kind yeah. of got this like mousy quality to her and can kind of. She can do the weird really well. And like, but she's also very genuine. Like, you know, yeah. like she genuinely wants to help Edward. She genuinely cares about Edward. She genuinely feels for Edward. Like it's, you know, it's not like some kind of like, look at me. I'm, you know, a lot of these Facebook, Instagram, pat me on the back. Look how great I am. I support this country. You know, all these people looking for uh, a attaboy. And she really wants to help this poor poor guy edward like she he's got scissors for hands she knows nothing about him 
no idea. What, he could be a murderer. She goes, you know what? I think you need to come home with me. Like, it's just such a, like, she made her decision in that moment. I'm going to take you in. I'm going to nurture you. I'm going to take care of you. You need to come with me. Yeah. And she's just like, okay. And he, like, could have, he could have murdered her. She has no idea. Yeah. There's like a version of this film and a version of that character where it's played like for for a, a, a sinister film. And like, this could easily, do you know what I mean? You make a couple of script tweaks and it's a horror movie. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yes quickly yeah quickly yeah, yeah that's what i mean and it's like but what i can think like, of freddy freddy krueger's got nothing in it with scissor hands no i don't know why we're so scared of freddy's fingers edward's got two like they're viciously sharp i mean and freddy scratches you he can impale uh, he, edward can do everything you know like yeah, he's, he's cutting through trees like it's nothing you go hmm freddy's a pussy that's <laughs> my first time i <laughs> watch this guy's like you know freddy you're a pussy i'll take edward anytime yeah, so speaking of the cast, we've who else? Who else? So obviously, yeah, we've got Winona Ryder as Kim. Oh, phenomenal. She's, yeah. She's just so, oh, she's like. I forgot how, I forgot how much I loved her when I was that age. Yeah. Because, you know, I see her now in Stranger Things and she's a little bit older and I'm not saying she's not attractive, but like she plays her looks down for sure in that film because of she's a frazzled mom and all the shit that goes on in Stranger Things. But in this film, it, she is just. Yeah, she's captivating. Stunning. Oh my God! Just like you, you feel you're like, yeah, I'm Edward. Like you're the whole time. You're yeah, like, you understand it. You understand yeah, it. Hundred percent. Right? <laughs> yep, yep. And she even plays it. She even plays it sweet. She plays it just perfectly, you know. And the whole time she's with, you know, and like I said, Anthony Michael Hall. What a for those people who've never seen Anthony Michael Hall prior. You know, if this is one of the movies you see him in or something else, like prior to this, he's a scrawny little kid, like like her brother in the film. He's this scrawny, blonde-haired kid who gets picked on and is the dork and the dweeb and no one wants to be around. And all of a sudden, a couple of years go by, and he's this buff jock type. And you're like, where did this come from, Anthony Michael Hall? Where did you get to be so freaking huge? Yeah. Yeah, and like, yeah, because her her brother in this, it was like, it was, well, immediately when Kevin. I saw, saw his face. Yeah, Kevin. He's Nick, he's Nikki Zelinsky from the Honey I Shrunk the Kids movies. Yeah. And I was like, ah, yeah. He was like a staple of my childhood, that kid. Yes. Like those that like, Honey I Shrunk the Kids and Honey I Blew Up the Baby, like were like big movies for me as a kid. And I was like, ah, here he is. And it's What's uh, he doing now? He getting to drugs and hookers or something? Like well, he's not, a young kid. So that's usually what happens with those eighties, nineties uh, teen kid stars. They usually go down pretty hard. Well, yeah, unfortunately, the last the last credit he has in 1994 in a short, Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, which I think would have been like maybe some kind of attraction at yeah, they had at Disneyland the Paris, in Florida. I think, yeah, or, yeah. Like, or like one of those, yeah. yeah, like like a yeah, like a Disneyland attraction. So he's in that. So apart from that, like nearly 30 years without a role. Maybe he's going to pull, uh, I forget his name right now, uh, what uh, Short Round did and come back in some movie like Everything Everywhere All at Once out of the blue and get nominated. Who knows? That or, that or I know that they're doing a Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie, like a new one, and hmm. um, Rick Moranis is back. So maybe he'll be in a, hmm. yeah. A reunion? <laughs> yeah, maybe he'll be in the new movie of that. But yeah, like it'll either be one of those things you're like, oh, I'm so glad they made this, or you'll be like, why the hell did they make this movie? Mm -hmm. It's gonna be one. It's never, it's never in between. It's one of those two. That's you know, whenever you bring back a cast from a long time ago, it's either like this was Top Gun, 
Maverick. You go, yep, fantastic. And then some other movies like the new uh, Christmas Story movie, the, and you're like, Ugh. yeah, I didn't know, need to know what the rest of the cast was doing since the Christmas Story. So you got your two, your, your two sides of the spectrum when you have movies like this come back. Well, let's see what Robert Olivier is up to these days. Uh, I've pulled up. He ultimately chose to leave acting after 1994 and reportedly lives with his wife and children in Florida. Oh, so he's, he's happy. He's 44 years old. He's doing, he's doing all right. Good for him. Good for him. He's, I mean, he's probably got some pretty good residuals from the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movies. And, you know, he'll make a quick Disney appearance every now and again on a parade. There we go. He's doing, yeah, he's doing <laughs> all right for himself. I don't feel so bad. <laughs> yeah, if, if it said like, oh. It says, uh, died, died at the age of 32, had a heroin problem for most of his life. You'd have been like, oh, man. Yeah, another like, an, another Corey Haim, Corey Feldman story. It's like, that's it. That's the end of the podcast. Sorry, Scott, <laughs> getting out of it. Um, <laughs> what else? What? Yeah. What? What? Well, I, I think I think yeah, especially in in regards to Stephanie Schwartzman's role, she was yeah an assistant to the art department, and I guess she well no was it what was her exact role on this movie? One second. So yeah, she was an art department researcher. So the art director on this movie is a gentleman by the name of Rick Henricks, who, and I guess some of the things she would have been researching would have been like the topiary and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Something that like, and the art direction in this movie. So yeah, the, is phenomenal like production oh, yeah. designed by bo welch that is amazing costumes by colleen atwood um amazing uh like effects by stan winston but yeah i think i think the kind of the art department on this really really kind of brought it for, like br brought brought their a game right because it kind of it, uh, yeah if you're doing a burton movie especially then that's that's what he's known for. Right? He's known for his, he has a look, he has a feel, a Burton film, especially 80s, 90s. You know, he's he may have shied away a little bit in some of his movies, like Big Fish and stuff, but not too far away, you know, but he has, he has a look. Everyone knows, I mean, if you're a fan of Burton, you don't even have to see the title. You can see an image and go, that's a Tim Burton film, yeah. just from the visuals of it, right? So, and even though this isn't your necessarily dark look that he would have in some of his films, I mean, you know it. Like, it's just, you what's, see it, you know? What's your view on kind of latter-day uh, Tim Burton movies? Are you kind of, are you still on board the Tim Burton train? I mean, it's hard. Like, I guess I don't want to take this back to Tarantino, but maybe this is why Tarantino is uh, bowing out at 10. Like, it's hard to keep the well always full and always be knocking it out of the park. Spielberg's had misses. Scorsese's had misses. Coppola's had misses. All the guys have misses, you know? I mean, even a few uh, Tarantino's are considered misses as well. And I can't pretend that they're not. You know, it's it's hard. And to keep... Also, when you get older, as you're realizing, the way you are, like when he does his first early films and he's doing Pee Wee Herman and we've got Beetlejuice and there's all these fun characters he's doing. Even when he jumps into Batman mm -hmm. and he's really, to my opinion, he really does the Dark Knight right. Like the, the 
other movies from Nolan, eh, they're okay. His Dark Knight version is like, you, they look like, they feel like the comic book. They feel like they're coming right on the pages. It's hard to keep that up forever. You know, like mm-hmm. you get older after a while. You know, like uh, some of the things you enjoy, whether it's music or movies or video, like you do eventually change your aesthetics as you get older. So to always be the guy who's moody and dark, it's hard to keep that story. And then you kind of pigeonhole yourself in certain stories that are just dark. So like one of the ones I really like is Big Fish. Great movie. He has some moments when we're at the when we go to the circus. You know, there there's some moments that are still a Tim Burton trope, as you would call. But his film has more of a modern day look to it. He's not leaning heavily on the sideshow attraction feel of of his of his films. So it depends. I mean, um, if you're a, a Burton loyalist and you only love what he did early on, you like that visual style, then you may not like his older stuff. I, I like some of his older stuff. Some of his stuff, like Dumbo, it was okay. I don't know that we need a live action for every Disney movie. Yeah. I'm just in that fat, you know? Some some work and some like, um, <laughs> like The Lion King. You just CGI'd it. It wasn't live. Yeah, I think like, when you basically when... took an you took an animated film and made it another animated film. It wasn't a live action and I didn't need to change it. Like you didn't do anything that was better. I, I think... just, you know, like... When Tim Burton kind of stepped into these heavily CGI'd world, like with his kind of Willy what like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory remake and That is that is dark. That is just so creepy. Yeah, when he's doing it, when it, it, it makes you feel it makes you feel like you're about to be pet, uh, a, a victim of pedophilia. Like it <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like the like the original you just realize that he wants to kill children. <laughs> Let's not pretend that Willy Wonka, <laughs> Gene Wilder, oh, isn't a, a child murderer. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. wants to kill children who deserve it. <laughs> and he just found a way to do it by luring them in with candy. And then you've got this Willy Wonka and you go, my God, it's like he's tapping into some kind of weird Michael Jackson horror <laughs> version. And you just, you know, give Johnny Depp credit and even him. But yeah, it's a, I don't know, it's a harder swallow that one. It's, mm-hmm. even though I love Christopher Lee, it's just, Oof, you know? It's when, like, I and I'm kind of, like, really happy to see, like, Burton kind of, I don't know, I guess a lot of people say he's, like, really back on form, especially with, like, uh, Wednesday, like, last year. Like, That's kind of did, like, yeah. gangbusters. And, like, from what yeah. I've seen of it, like, the first couple of episodes, it's, like, it's a lot of fun. And it's, like, kind of... It's his wheelhouse, yeah. 100%, yeah. yeah. He's in the wheelhouse. It he's seems like it. it's, it's not in this weird... I don't know, otherworldly, like, do you know what I mean? When you start getting into, like, Mrs. Peregrine's kid, like, school for peculiar yeah. children, it kind of yeah. just has this, like, what has become, like, the new Tim Burton aesthetic, where it's just kind of, oh, let's just, like, CGI things all looking a mm-hmm. bit, like, crooked and stuff like that, and it's kind of got this weird gloss, but, like, darkness to it, mm-hmm. and it's, I don't know, and I, I, I think... The films I love of his the most is is the kind of the more practical movie. So something like Edward Cezanne's. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I've got a real, real, real affection for his film Big Eyes as well. That kind of, mm-hmm. that like, it's, it's got, yeah, it's got these like, it's got these, I don't know, weird touches. And it was nice for him to reunite with Larry Karaszewski and Scott, ah, uh, oh. Names escape me, but yeah, the writers of Ed Wood as well. Ed Wood again, fantastic yes. movie, and that's what yeah, watching watching Batman Returns again the end of last year is like, oh, it's so great to see this kind of actual realized world and like things looking practical. Maybe that is 
an issue with kind of modern filmmaking and like for for these kind of grand ideas that tim burton has he has to kind of you know what I mean, like, yeah, go to the I was CGI surprised he land. directed a couple of the episodes of Wednesday. Like, he directed like the first few episodes of Wednesday. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Tell me that Wednesday doesn't make you feel like it's a Tim Burton's Harry Potter. Oh, yeah, yeah, massive. Like, like, if Tim Burton was given Harry Potter, this is what it would look like. Like, it would look like Wednesday, you know, it just it's they're like kindred spirits. Now, they both have their own, they're, they're their own worlds, but I just, you know, who would have thought that Wednesday. It would be such a great character. You know what I mean? It's just, she's totally is perfect. She's great. When Christina Ricci plays her in the originals, brilliant. And then you go, there's no way some girl's going to be able to match. And you go, oh, wow, she really did a great job of yeah. modernizing Wednesday without losing what we all came to love about Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Burton just kills it with it. You know, he just, this. I mean, this is his wheelhouse. You know, like if he fucked this up, he retires. Well, I think like, Wednesday's not a critical hit. People are like, what the fuck did he do? He retires because if he can't make Wednesday go. Well, work, yeah, if he can't make the Adams Family, like if you kind of say like who who's gonna make an Adams Family film, you like think, oh, it's Tim Burton, surely. Like that. How many people they, are surprised that Tim Burton didn't make them? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like yeah, how many think, people would think that he didn't make them? That's yeah, almost like, the then, question. Yeah, like yeah. what? Barry Sonnenfeld? Nah, that's Tim, uh, Tim <laughs> Burton. <laughs> it was Tim Burton. Come on. Yeah, it's Barry. Oh, big, big buzzer. Um other elements of this film we have to talk about is the Danny Elfman score, which is I was going to say one yes. of the best. Right, it's every Danny Elfman score is one of the best. As I said on my cheeky bastard podcast when I talked about how I feel that Burton's Batman's are better than Nolan's, one of the reasons is Danny Elfman's score. When you played the trailer for me at the beginning of this, you just get swept away by it, like. It is beautiful. It is just enchanting. Everything he does with his scores are just, the two are married together. You can't have a Burton movie without Danny Elfman. Right? Like, like, like the, I don't know what it is. The two were born to work together. They mm -hmm. two were born, like Danny Elfman is the musical version of the brain of Tim Burton. What Tim Burton sees visually and can bring to the screen, Danny Elfman knows exactly what music he wants played for it. Like it, the synergy is, I mean, John L. Williams and maybe with Spielberg and Lucas, like, you know, the only other people I can think of who, when you worked here, they go, oh, yeah, no, they, these are the people who were born to work with these directors because they audibly understand the vision of the directors. And so they know exactly what music they need to sell these these films. Well, you can definitely, you could definitely see, um, like, Danny Elfman going the way of, like, John Williams in the way of, He's just announced he will only make, he'll only do scores for Spielberg movies. And you can imagine when kind of Elfman's in his twilight years, we'll probably have the same. It was like, yeah, I'll do, if Tim's doing a movie, yeah, I'll, right? I'll score that. But anyone else, like, nah, so like, good. let's just, let's just give it to Hans Zimmer because he, he, he puts it out <laughs> to his, he puts it out to his farm of, uh, farm of like, uh, paid composers to write stuff for him anyway. So Fucking Zimmer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if Die Hard taught me anything, never trust a man named Hans. If it's Han, <laughs> if there's an S, you don't trust him. If they've dropped the S and it's Han, you trust him. Han Solo or Hans Gruber. Which one are you going with? So who else have we got here? So yeah, we've got, oh, that, that's another person I wanted to shout about was the, cinematographer on this movie so it is steven uh Dabsky, who 
was an early Tim Burton collaborator and has a nice little nice little cage connection as well. He was the cinematographer on Vampire's Kiss. So um Stefan Zabski also, yeah, apart from Edward Scissorhands, did Batman Returns with Tim Burton and did Edward and on his CV as well, Matilda, another oh, like, so great good. looking film. Like the the, yes. the the Danny DeVito movie. Another film that you could go. There's so many films you could say in the 80s and 90s that Tim Burton did that and be be wrong, but be like, but but feels like it's Tim Burton, right? Like yeah. Matilda feels like a Tim Burton film. If he was gonna do another show on Netflix, he did Matilda, he'd be like, Yeah, no, I think that's in his wheelhouse as well. Yeah, another yeah, those are great films. Yeah. I mean the guy the guy's a great cinematographer, clearly. Um he well, you know, he really taps into the the look, the dark. When we get to the dark parts, it's it's dark. And when we he really captures that eighties suburban pastel not you know contrast that we're going for so that Edward really sticks out in the film when he comes in. He's such a you know, it's like a black chalk on a side of a white fence. Like you see him instantly mm-hmm. when he walks through. So yeah, uh, hats off to him. Great, great job as cinematographer. What I love about like the kind of uh the deve- the genesis of this film is is that like Tim Burton basically had a drawing of Edward Scissorhands from like a teenager and it's kind of like it felt like something that was kind of yeah I don't know like in his mind for for ages and kind of had to get out of him and it's kind of I don't know like what what do you think does does a movie like this get made now like is is there the appetite for for something like so this? it does but it doesn't so it doesn't get made by Tim Burton. It gets made by A24, and it's a little too artsy horror film that doesn't really work as well. It's a horror film. Edward Scissorhand is not a love story. It's a horror film. And it's, you know, played by Miles Teller or something like that. Some some guy, and you know, it doesn't get made like it used to. But again, I don't know. Like, this movie could have been made... When my kids were coming up, I would you know be like that young father being like, they don't make kids movies like they did when I was in the 80s. And then out comes Harry Potter and stuff. And all of a sudden, like there's this influx of really good kids movies coming out. And, you know, re- real inventive stories. And you're like, man, these are really good. Like you're really enjoying them. This movie comes out during that time frame. If you're going to make an Edward Scissorhands in that time frame, it's during the rush of the movies like... Uh, the Harry Potters nowadays with everything either being, I feel like some, it's either a horror film or it's a superhero movie. You know, we, mm-hmm. we get, we do still get good films, but they're not, not in the same way we used to get them, you know? And I hate to sound like some old curmudgeon, but like, the way they were rolling out in the nineties and stuff were like, you had all kinds of films and different directors, <clears throat> excuse me, different directors coming out with new stuff. And you'd be like, damn, that's good from Fincher and all this, you know, the Coen brothers did this and, we just, you know, it's either an A24 movie that you're like, oh, that could be good. Or it's Marvel's or DC's newest superhero of the month. Mm-hmm. And then every now and again, you get surprised by a movie like Everything Everywhere at Once. Or you're stunned that Tom, you know, Tom, you know, Tom Cruise comes back with Top Gun Maverick and it's amazing. You're like, there's these moments or like um, a bullet train where they, you get surprised by them. But that being said, I'll give you a caveat. Since Wednesday has been such a success, 
maybe we could now. Yes. Because of Wednesday's success. We have to have something to piggyback off of to, to make the big wigs now realize that, oh, there's an appetite for this. That's not Without golf that, stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it has to have something like that. You, you mentioning Tom Cruise there. Um, so let, let, let's <laughs> dive into some some casting what ifs with this movie. Uh, and they're kind, they're kind of interesting, especially when it comes to the role of Edward uh, himself. So people who uh, thought about for and offered the, this role and turned it down, Tom Hanks and Gary Oldman. Oh, my God. You want to talk about two completely different fucking movies. Uh, let so me, how let, does Tom Hanks not play this a little bit like maybe Woody or his character from big how does he not kind of lean into that it's it's a much more mr rogers type feel you know that the, like tom hanks is like america's sweetheart if there's that for for a male i, I don't want to america's guy next door or you know he's yeah. mr rogers he is that's why he played him in the movie yeah, yeah. He, he's he, mr he, fucking he's rogers. america's he's dad the, right at this point yes he's now become america's dad but he's like america's actor he's like the guy that you're always like oh yeah he's tom um so i don't know that he gets that dark of a reaction and you said Gary Oldman? Gary Oldman. Wow. That gets real dark. <laughs> well, we don't, we don't, yeah, we don't. We, we Gary don't. Oldman gets, gets, you know, <laughs> service black is not even, not as dark as his Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. Well, his Edward Scissorhands is like cold. Count Dracula himself. Do you know what I mean? He's like a heart, he's a heartbroken, chain smoking, heroin shooting, scissor maniac. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't let Jim get away with the first time he says something yeah. wrong to him. He's cutting his throat open. Well, let me, let he's, me. At, he's, he's telling Alan Arkin to give him, you know, to help him eat his fucking peas instead of just looking at him. You know? <laughs> <laughs> let me throw out another few names here. So, Jim Carrey considered the role, while um, Thompson, so yeah, Caroline Thompson, uh, the screenwriter, favored John Cusack for the role of Edward Scissorhands. Hmm. Elsewhere, William Hurt, Robert Downey Jr., and musician Michael Jackson expressed interest in the role of Edward Cezanne's. Jesus Christ, Michael Jackson is perfect for the role because it's basically him with fucking scissors for hands kind of thing. No, no thank you. But like... No. John Cusack's not a bad one, but he plays it a little too, too sad, a little too mm -hmm. melancholy, where I think Edward plays it the right amount of boy wonder at all the new experiences, but yet that lonely heartbreak of living alone where John Cusack plays, you know, almost like his roles in like uh, high fidelity where he's, you know, that oh, poor me kind of guy that, Oh, shucks. It happened to me again. I, I think he's, you know, I think the guy who plays it uh -huh. plays it perfectly. Yeah. Born so, to play the role. So, Fox. you know, Jim Carrey's great, but Jim Carrey probably overdoes it. Mm -hmm. Jim Carrey was born to play the Grinch. Yeah, born to play the fucking Grinch. What that 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 is something really weird because whilst watching it this time as well, it's like Tim Burton essentially makes suburban America like Whoville. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like kind yeah, of yeah, hundred percent with like the kind of and especially like that one haircut he gives to the girl. Yeah, a couple the, of them haircuts. You go, that's fucking. I wonder if that's a inspiration. I wonder if that's part of the research that Schwartzman did. There we go. She's looking at, yeah, she's looking at Dr. Seuss books. There we go. She's, she's flicking through. So Fox, considering uh, his work with Warner Brothers doing what? Two massive hits for them. So he did Beetlejuice and then Batman. Batman. Um, Tim Burton brought this script to Warner Brothers and they said no. 
They said, no, we do not want to produce this. So he had to go to Fox. And Fox were insistent that he meet one person for the role of Edwards's hands before he spoke to anyone else. And that person was Tom Cruise. Now, I, I'm a person who can separate the artist and their art from their real life person. Now, is Tom Cruise probably batshit crazy in real life outside of being the actor? And it's from what I've heard, yes. I've seen some of the Scientology videos. Yes, he's the fucking Looney Tunes for sure. However, he is hands down the greatest action star ever. It's not a contest <laughs> ever. He does all his own stunts. He pushes levels. He is phenomenal. In most of his movies, I know a lot of people can't, you know, separate the fact that he's crazy, but most of his sci-fi or action films, he's amazing in them. He is great. Like, I don't think he gets enough credit. That being said, he's five foot four. He's like some kind of short thing. Like, he would have had to be in stilts or they would have had to shoot at like such low angles. He would have had to walk on apple boxes the entire time to even get to the height to make him look like an imposing character. And... I don't ever want to sell Tom Shore because he, you know, uh, born on the 4th of July is unbelievable. He's amazing. He can, he has real acting range. Uh, what he does in Tropic Thunder, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, so he has acting range, but I don't think he could pull it off. I just don't see Tom Cruise being able to pull off this type of a role. Well, I think, I think Tom Cruise is very much in, in the lane that he's kind of, uh, been in his whole career like he's got to the point now yeah. where he basically has directors and writers that he basically gets to say hey how about we do this do you know what I mean it's a Tom Cruise movie and they're along for the ride one of the things that Tim Burton said with the conversations he had with Tom Cruise is he asked for a happier ending for the movie so I think in the Tom Cruise world Kim and Edward Live happily Edward has ever to after. end up with the girl, which yeah. is impossible. Yeah, which is it's which, impossible. Which takes away from the kind of like the mythology the of crux, who the character is. Yeah, the crux of, yeah. of, of the story. Um, another couple of casting what ifs. Um, I, I'm I'm kind of not mad at this one. Drew Barrymore had auditioned for the role of Kim, of Drew's. Yeah, she, yeah, she she's she she could fit that mold. Yeah. Although I think at that time in her career, she was the it was the crazy part of her career. Yes, that is true. Where she was, you know, not wearing underwear and David Letterman and, you know, doing some cocaine. Like, you know, she was she was having the fun, you know what I mean? She was she's going along for that uh, E.T. money ride. So yeah, but I, mean, uh, I, can, I can understand she would definitely be in the conversation. And for the role of Jim, one person who auditioned for um Jim was Crispin Glover. So uh, mm. George McFly from Back to the Future. I himself. actually think Crispin Glover would have been a better choice for Edward Scissorhands. He would have He'd made a given, fucking given amazing his. Edward Scissorhands. He would, I think he could have been the only other replacement for him. Like, it, he has that ability. That I don't see him being the tough guy. Like, I don't see him being the big, you know, he could be the crazy person who might slit, slit, slit your throat in a horror film, but he doesn't come across as that big jock type of meathead type guy. You know, I've never got that. And you can't, after he's been in, I mean, we've already seen him as the weak father in Back to the Future. Yeah, but we'd also you seen can't... Anthony Michael Hall in 
True, uh, but he was Anthony Michael Hall put on. I don't know. He did like some kind of workout regimen. He's still the same size today. <laughs> he put on like a hundred pounds of muscle and grew like three feet. Like you're like he was like this little pipsqueak, and now he's like I'm fucking. He's like look, he's playing for a hockey team. You're like, where did yeah. this guy come from? You see him in Halloween kills, and it's like who the who the <laughs> fuck is that guy? I know. I know. Like, hey, don't fuck, don't fuck around with the kid from fucking Breakfast Club. Let me tell you, he's been eating his breakfast. I'll tell you what, that club worked out for him. <laughs> yeah, he's been, yeah, he been skipping that meal. <laughs> no, not at all. He'll fuck you up. <laughs> so that is all we've got for casting what ifs with this film, um, Scott. Is there any other elements that we've missed that you feel like we need to shout about? Is there any moments in this film that you kind of wanted to dive into? I know that we've kind of talked around the film and not kind of like really dived into specific moments but I, f I feel like this film has been talked about so much to kind of just go beat by beat through it would just be boring <laughs> for people right it's kind of it feels like this yeah. film lives rent free in a lot of people's heads one thing i noticed this time around is how it and i didn't notice this young when i was younger but now being the age i am it was the strikingly sad state of affairs for housewives in the suburbs at that time the mm -hmm. mundane boring life where again you know for younger viewers of this there is no snapchat facebook instagram tiktok like basically they their little version of that is they talk to each other they call each other on the phone they meet on the corner they they give up gossip they everyone knows everyone's business because they're so fucking bored I mean, that yeah. one woman who literally tries to throw herself at Edward and anyone who comes by, and she is so starved for attention that it was just striking to see that. And, and maybe some of it is from uh, on the new season of my show, we're going through the influences of Tarantino's films. And I'm seeing a lot of 50s films, 40s and 50s films, where women are just basically objects to be there at, for a man's beck and call. And that was the way that women were treated by Hollywood and by society in the day. And then to see it kind of, <clears throat> kind of crop its head up in this film without me noticing it, you know, before now seeing it, it's kind of sad, you know, like, cause there's that one scene where she finally Peg brings them home and they all beat on the corner outside her house. And then as soon as their husband's cars come, they all got to run back and go home and take mm -hmm. care of their husband. And then like the weekend comes and instead of spending time with their wives, they get in their car and they go golfing, you know, yeah. it's just. It's a very strikingly sad kind of just commentary on housewives. Like it was, it was only, that was uh, the saddest part. Not so much he didn't get the girl. It was like that these people had to go back to those lives and that's mm -hmm. what the lives they're living. And he just felt bad, you know? Yeah. It reminded me of the scene from Goodfellas, which you, we talked about, where she would talk about how the Italian women were just, they wore bad, bad makeup and wore cheap clothes and bad pants. Like I felt the same. I was like, God, yeah. this is, a terrible existence, you know, like, and again, that's because of a certain age, like, you know, anyone else is watching it younger, they're going to be enamored by the music and the fairy tale that is the Edward Sertan story. But underneath it all, there is a little bit of commentary on how it sucked to be a housewife, especially fifties through the eighties and maybe still today, Yeah, but it really sucked. It's not the housewives of Orange County or whatever they have over in America. It's not that. That was definitely a very striking uh, thing that I saw in the film. One one thing I picked up on this film is, especially yeah, this is what like a PG rated movie. It's yeah, like, PG. It's pretty yeah. horny. It's a pretty horny movie, right? Oh yeah. Especially, well, especially that. Especially that. Cat. You're not giving the. You're not giving that one lady enough attention. She's trying to. 
Yeah. She like, has an orgasm when I didn't realize. She has an orgasm getting her hair cut. That's how untouched and underappreciated she is by her own husband. That's what it's, I mean, well, uh, yeah, good yeah, Lord. Has she, has she got a husband? Because like, there's that... There's that scene in in the hair salon where she's like putting up, like saying like she's gonna try on the different like thingy. Yeah. And I was like genuinely like pulling up my collar, like, Jesus Christ, like it's like not to be like a prude, but it's like this is a kid's movie, do you know what I mean? Like it's kinda <laughs> like is is it? Like <laughs> Here's the thing, as an adult I'm thinking, how is Ed gonna fuck her with scissors for hands? <laughs> like that's one of the things you realize you go like, how? He can't like he, she has to do all the way. Like, there's nothing Edward can do with his hands. It's no, it, at just, this point, it's an impediment. Yeah, he has to literally yeah, put him on. He could out. kill her. Like he literally could kill somebody if he's not careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With what he does with his hands. Yeah, it's just yeah. But you know, her husband shows up. You'll see him twice. He's the one who comes over with the terrible dad joke about, "Hey, would you like to? Hey, Ed, come over to our house yeah. with our car come come uh, our card game." And he goes, uh, "But you won't be able to cut him." <laughs> do do do. You know what I mean? And then. He comes over to try to pull him off Kevin after he saved Kevin from getting hit by the van. And Kevin's kind of getting little nicks on his face. And he grabs Ed's arm and he Edward swings his hand. He cuts his arm. He's the guy he cuts in the night. So those are the two I remember of her husband. A real toolbox, as we would say here in America. A real piece of shit. And there's like, there's some real darkness to this. Especially like when it gets to like the allegations, like... That, oh yeah, yeah. Like, they, they, like by the end when the rumor mill starts up and the towns start to turn on Ed, it's like, yeah, they're like saying, oh yeah, he, he tried to rape her in the in the hair uh-huh. salon and stuff like that. I'm like, again, yeah, it's like this is pretty heavy stuff for like a family movie. Do you know what I mean? And this is very yeah. much seen that way. It's like, yeah, I think I would think I would. This would definitely be one where with yeah, with my son, I'd be like, have to be thinking about what age he was when we when i first showed this to him do you know what i mean like yeah yeah some of that is like when would he actually appreciate it <laughs> would he have the same reaction ed does when he shows up to dinner late He's like yeah miss i forget her name now mrs so-and-so show me the salon and then she took off all her clothes and he just says it's so nonchalant no <laughs> everyone else is looking at him like oh my god miss jo- ed joyce lady she's a piece what a fucking horn dog what a piece of shit he's just I- like yeah she are close. I, I I would have definitely watched this film as yeah like sub ten years old. So like God knows, but like yeah. I think I think what's changed in movie watching is because everything is on streaming and like you actually yeah. have to buy stuff. Is we don't get the like TV like edit of movies anymore. Do you know what I mean like? Yes. So, I'm glad for that. <laughs> yeah, but like there is like a thing of like I remember watching movies and like then watching them like when I was old enough to like buy or like when a D, when I yeah when I got the DVDs and stuff that I remember yeah. the first time actually watching the Goonies like properly on DVD and then like being like oh there's loads of swearing in this movie and it's like that there's first a penis that's broken off <laughs> yeah that 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 stuff was left in but like I think when chunk I remember when chunk spills the milkshake on himself and he's like ah shit like that was definitely before that happened it was like yeah. ad break do you know what I mean from like every time i saw it on tv when i was younger and stuff like that whereas like uh i don't know yeah I may, maybe i saw like a tv edit of of edward sometimes I, I don't think so i think people were just a bit more lax in in the 90s for good or bad yeah yeah <laughs> 
Well, most likely that was the case. Gen X, we didn't have a whole lot of parenting going on for us. So we were just kind of left our own devices. Yeah, I'm the I'm good the or bad. I'm I saw the, a lot of movies I shouldn't have seen when I was a child. Yeah, I'm the youngest of three, so it's kind of like the 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 wheels were off when it came to me. Yeah, you know I mean? it's like you got watch, watch what you want, boy. Do what you got to do. <laughs> Um, is there any other moments in this film that yeah yeah or anything that we've missed, Scott? That we we should talk about. I think the one thing is the little mythology that we do get when we do get the the Vincent Price character. It's mm. I didn't notice it, but it's so subtle. We get an uh, idea of how much time has passed for Edward, because when we watch him with Vincent Price, hair is always combed. Vincent Price obviously doing it. <clears throat> to me, no scars on his face. He's completely clean face, just kind of sitting there listening. Like Vincent Price is so sweet. And his his facial expression when he has the heart attack, how fucking realistic. I mean, when I saw him as younger, didn't know, but now being older, you know, I was I was like, holy shit. I was like, did Vincent Price actually die during this film? You know mm. what I mean? Like, did yeah. he actually die? Because it's just that subtle, I brought you a present. It's going to give him his hands. It's like he's finally going. It's like the Pinocchio. He's going to be a real boy. And then they fall apart in his scissors because he dies. And it's just like so. I, you know, I don't It's just Vincent Price. His little moments are just beautiful. They're yeah. just they're small. They're short. But what a way for him to have like his last film. I mean, he, second to last film. He came out with another one post posthumously. But I mean. And for him to be an icon of the horror genre anyways, probably Burton being a huge fan of his, to get him in there, mm -hmm. you know, it's just well, it's fantastic. Pro it's probably the same when it came to Christopher Lee, right? With, uh, with Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. Cut from the similar cloth. <clears throat> but, yeah, those those little moments, those tender little moments of Edward getting, we just get little bits of backstory in Edward, and that's it. We have an idea that he was created. He was made much like Frankenstein but a little bit more loving care. And we just don't know what he is. Mm -hmm. We don't know what he is. And that's where Tom Cruise wants to have a happy ending. You can't. You have a happy ending. We now have to learn who Edward is. Otherwise, we can make up as our own mind who Edward is, where he comes from, what he is. Why is he still the same age he is when he's, you know, at the end of the film, cutting up the ice and making the snow come down? Like, it's just that, I don't know, there's just those small, beautiful moments of where Edward comes from and why he is where he is. It's just, with Vincent Price, they're, they're fantastic. Yeah, you know, they just, ambiguity to it all right it's kind of like i like that yeah i like that ability to sometimes we always want to be spoon-fed everything you know like sometimes certain films you need to if you're doing a spy film you might need a few things you want well, to know I, you, I, I, me, you need to know a few particulars but in certain films like a mythology film or a fantasy film it's okay to sometimes not know everything and this there's life. like there's an element as well obviously yeah it's kim telling the story to her granddaughter exactly yes like the, the tie-up to this but there is like an element as well that there's like, this could just be a, a tall tale from a grandma. Yeah. You know I mean, this, exactly. could, this could be bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Time, she like, could have Alzheimer's. She, she, that might not even be her granddaughter. She may be kidnapped. Link twice if you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, the, the, a question I had was like, is this the kind of bedtime story you should be telling? a child like there's some dark stuff in this do you know what I mean yeah. like <laughs> but is it also the story where the granddaughter is going to learn that there's beauty and something that's different than you of course of course you know what like, I mean I think I think that's the whole yeah, yeah, tale yeah, yeah, what it yeah, is yeah. we yeah, are you know? we are we are the granddaughter in all of this right yeah. it's like we we are told like 
oh, those people that you think are on the margins of society, those people who you think are a bit different, like they just, they have beauty to offer just as much as the next person. Mm -hmm. So like you you should think twice before kind of just pariahing them from the yeah. get-go you should you should embrace them like they do and not turn your back on them at the kind of like do you know what i mean we all make mistakes and edward kind of has it in his unfortunately it's like in his in his nature to make these mistakes because of the kind of impediments that he's been bestowed mm -hmm. upon him with those scissor hands but it's like certain things we can't escape from right do you know what i mean like we can we can make changes to certain things about ourselves, but there's others that we can't change. And it's like, you would hope that there would be an understanding from people and we should accept people for who they are. Like everyone's different in their own way. Right. It's like, I don't yeah. know, we're both two bald men. It's like, if you've got an aversion <laughs> to baldness, it's like, well, just still give us a chance. We've got some. Yeah, we, we, we've, got, we've got something to offer, baby. All right, maybe that's why offer. we do podcasts and not video. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If you saw this right now, you you wouldn't be able to see us. The light is shining off of our heads, and it's just white screens, guys. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and you know, I think he also points out, you know, and I was just thinking about this is, you know, technically Edward is handicapped. Yes. Edward's handicapped. Like so, however you want to look at it, he is a handy. He's handicapped by the scissors now. He's also able to take those talents. And that's another thing that I think there's that's quietly seated within the story is that not to look at handicapped as people who are unable to do things. Yeah, just anyone. Also, who you know, yeah. And, and and Edward, like I said, Edward's the creative joy brings the new light to their world because of what he brings with his he, he's also over, able to overcome mm -hmm. these same exact impediments that people would see. So there's a lot of great stuff in in this story it's it's and i think that's why it lives like you said run free in people's heads and why people go back to it and it may be burton's best film because it's an original you know i mean he took did amazing job with batman but that's source material that he then made his own and i love beetlejuice and i love peewee herman and Pee Wee Herman's funny but the most probably personal story he's told is edward scissorhands mm -hmm. and i think that's why it resonates with people so much and maybe even if you've never seen any other Burton films, this may be the one you've seen because of how much heart there is and how much beauty there is and how just, you know, it's the same old story of like, you know, the odd thing comes into your world and you learn to, it's that don't judge a book by its cover type yeah. of tale, but it's told in such a Burton-esque way with such darkness, but yet beauty that you, you can't help but fall in love with the film. Well, it's you like just a, can't help yeah, but fall in love with it. It's like a tale old, as old as time, but it, it kind of. It, yeah. It bears repeating, like every so yeah. often. Yeah, like we, we we need this. I think we need this this tale trotted out every so often. Of yeah, don't judge a book by its cover because people, no matter how many times we're told that, people need reminding every now and then. Yeah, I know they do. <laughs> yeah, we do. We get a little get a little big for our britches here and there every now and again, especially here in America. Here in America. <laughs> well, on that note, let's let's start to wrap this up and. First, All right. first thing we do is we start to wrap things up here, Scott, is we look for some Coppola connections. So there, is there anyone in front of or behind the camera who has worked with a Coppola elsewhere in their career? Did you manage to find any, sir? I want to say Johnny Depp and Nick worked together, but I'm trying to put the movie together that they did. No. I don't think, I don't think Winona did either with him. So I'll, I'll rattle off a couple for you. So Johnny, All right, fire them off. Johnny Depp is in Benny and June, which 
John Schwartzman yep. was the cinematographer. Um, All right. He's also in Edward, which Stephanie Schwartzman was an assistant to the production designer. Uh, Winona Ryder is in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yes, she is. Which was directed by Francis Ford Coppola. By uh, the Coppola. Yes. And is in <laughs> Simone, or S1 et Moan, uh, which Jason Schwartzman is also in. Alan Arkin is in North, which Nicolas Cage's brother, Mark Coppola, has a tiny, small part in as a journalist. Uh, Kathy Baker, who plays the horny neighbor, is in Saving Mr. Banks, which John Schwartzman was the cinematographer on and Jason Schwartzman is in. Um, Diane Weist is also in The Birdcage, which Stephanie Schwartzman was an art department coordinator on, and Tim Burton also directed Edward and Big Eyes. Again, Stephanie Schwartzman was the assistant to the production designer on Edward, and Big Eyes has an appearance from Jason Schwartzman. Wow. There you go. <laughs> Look at you. Look at these connections. And as I said, um, Stefan Zabke as well was the... Uh, director of photography on Vampire's mm. Kiss as well. So we have a nice little cage connection wow. there as well. So wow. let's get to rating this movie. And the way we do that here, Scott, is we talk about the perfect wine pairing. What would be the perfect wine Jeez. pairing for Dear Edward God. Cezanne's? I don't know. So this is a sex. I'm not a big wine drinker. So, you know, us Americans and our alcohol. And I don't like beer, but the perfect for this i feel would be some kind of dark gin some kind of dark gin or dark whiskey is the perfect pairing for this anything dark with this well a red wine then. it's this a, red, like a wine. red wine but again i don't know my red wine so i'm not gonna sit over here and pretend i know my red wines and just i'll you know, how about this i'll do a, a a Merlot would be perfect with this. Oh, yeah? Okay. From the Napa Valley region, maybe from the personal vineyard of Mr. Francis Ford himself. Yeah, we'll have that. We'll have that. I think, I think, I think this has got, this has definitely got a red wine. It's got like a, I don't know, a deep body to it and kind of like a richness mm -hmm. that you kind of get with reds. And it's kind of, it, it packs a punch and it's serious and, it's got a sweetness to it, which I think, like you, you get, yeah. you get, you get from wine, especially yeah, certain reds. And I think that that that's what this film is. It's kind of it kind of encapsulates a sweetness, a darkness, and a kind of seriousness um, that would definitely be like a a, a flavor profile of like a, a a red wine, I would say. Or for those kids out there, maybe a black cherry Capri Sun would maybe be able to wash it down. You know, okay. Nice. <laughs> so, so if you and your son are sitting there, and you've got your your wine, he can have a nice yeah. black cherry Capri Sun, and you guys can enjoy the aroma and the taste yeah, with this film. Well, that's what we do. You've just you've just you've just outed us, uh, Scott. So, uh, <laughs> how much are we paying for this wine? AKA, is it any good? Is this a top shelf, middle shelf, or bottom shelf wine? AKA, this film? is. This is top shelf. This is absolutely top shelf. There's there's no doubt. Um, I mean, I think you and I can both agree that films should be judged on their genre and also their 
their relevance. So to compare uh, Edward Scissorhands to The Godfather of Pulp Fiction is not fair to Edward Scissorhands, nor are these other films, because they're just not the same, but they can still be liked on the same exact level. And for this type of movie from Tim Burton and the story it tells and the beauty of it and the performances and how it resonates through time. Mm-hmm. Are there a few things in there that date it? Obviously, because, you know, it, I do think it's also kind of a period piece. Anyways, we are talking in flashback, first off. So she is talking about this in her youth. So it is a flashback to a mm-hmm. time, whether it be the 50s or 80s, obviously. But I think this film, your son will love it. His son will love it. Kids will love it throughout generations, much like you like the Wizard of Oz as you get older. When you're a kid, you love the Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz from the 1940s, 30s or 40s, over almost 100 years ago. And we still all enjoy the Wizard of Oz. I think this is one of those kind of movies that many years from now, when you are in the ground, people come upon this, Edward Scissorhands, and they'll still thoroughly enjoy this film. And I have no doubt about that. I've got a groovy. I think it's kind of the high watermark of what, what Tim Burton can do, like when he's firing yes. all cylinders. Like, yes. Rewatching it, I kind of, I was kind of taken aback by some of like the, the camera choices, the angles, the kind of shots and just the beauty to it. Like there's mm-hmm. some amazing shots. I think there's a moment they come out of the bank and there's this like low angle shot and it's just mm-hmm. like beautifully framed. And there's, there's an amazing shot where it's, yeah, Diane Weist and, Winona Ryder kind of talking inside the house and the, the, the shot is outside of the window and it's just it's just amazingly framed mm-hmm. and just like oh it's just like but even the way they build the tension first when he's he's moving his scissors right and we see hair flying but we don't know what it's looked like it's like he's doing a magic and all of a sudden back and we get the reveal and you're like damn you know what I mean like you're impressed you know he didn't cut it for real but you're still his his performance sells it the the little extra stuff that they're doing, the special effects team throwing the practical stuff up, it just, and then they come. We get the reveal. It's just, yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful film. Yeah, yeah. I'd say this is this is this yeah. is top shelf. This is like a four, oh god, yes, four yeah. four edging to five oh, star. Movie yeah. Film, yeah, and if you don't agree, then there's some there's something <laughs> there's something structurally wrong in your soul if you don't like Edward Scissorhands. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you just go, you judge someone differently. Be like, oh, that's a piece of shit movie. Bunch of crybabies. You're like, okay, I don't think I <laughs> like you around people. Yeah. You shouldn't have children, sir. Yeah, yeah. So based on this film alone, Scott, are the Coppola's the greatest film family of all time? That's uh, that's that's a loaded question because to be honest with you, are there any other I mean what who is who who are they competing with? The uh, the uh, Estevez? Are we going with the Charlie Sheen, Mark Sheen, Emilio Estevez? I mean, there's a family, but the, the Coppola's, are. The, Coppola's the, the are Arquettes, the, the um no the, i mean it's even Baldwin's. even without this film even 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 the shitty films even if we were to do it's they're still the best they just are that's just francis ford is an amazing director has put some of the greatest cinematic delights on film you know how i feel about nicholas cage i think he is by by no stretch of imagination the greatest maybe living actor maybe one of the greatest ever to live he is just unreal, and I'm loving the fact that he's finally getting his resurgence, and people are finally going to maybe see him for more than just the memes on YouTube that they they know him from. Sophia's done some amazing work herself as his daughter, um, and, and you know, like Talia Shear, she's in fucking Rocky. I mean, like, like there's so many great people. I love Jason Schwartzman; like, he's amazing in Rush and all the other stuff he's been in. Like, 
He's like the muse for uh, what's his name for for, for films. Um, Anderson, forgetting yeah. Anderson. You know, I'm like they are. I, look, Deadfall. I mean, maybe Nick's brother not so much with Deadfall. But that being said, yeah, I mean, some of the greatest movies ever made come from this family, and they all have seem to have their their hand in some. So they are <laughs> a family that stretches across that you cannot get away from and. You know, you, you have to tip your hat to the longevity because these people have also made their own bones. You know, they didn't just live off of daddy because, look, let's be honest. Some people don't know Francis Ford Coppola passed some of his early films. Some people your age and younger don't even know who the fuck he is. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like they have no clue. And yet yeah, yeah. they may know his movies and they'll know Nick Cage and all this stuff. So they they all have their own lasting uh, mark in Hollywood and they will go down as one of the great family dynasties Ever and, and you know, hopefully there's more to come along with them. But if it were to end at this lineage right here, I mean that's a that's a hell of a run. It's a hell of a yeah, run, yeah, really yeah, is. Of course, you know? so it's a hell of a. There may be a Francis. There may be a Coppola Museum one day. There may be a new award at the Oscars for the Coppola family. You know, well, so who knows? Who knows if if Sophia is doing the same thing that Francis did with his kids? Uh, are, are, her, are her kids? on her film sets. Do you know what I mean? If that's if yeah. that is the case, then the, the generation is gonna is gonna continue. Yeah. Cause if, if 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 you're surrounded by that as a child, then it's gonna seep into your bones, surely. Did like, she have kids with Spike Jones? Did, she, did they have kids together or no? No, she has children with yeah. uh Thomas yeah, Mars, different husband. Yeah, the the lead singer Spike, of the band Phoenix. Too bad because Spike Jones. Spike Jones is fun too. Yeah. That, that would have been a, that'd have been an interesting comp- <laughs> that's an interesting DNA combination. Well like Spike- the- Jones and a Coppola is an interesting combination. Well, we sure. say about Sofia Coppola, who in the 90s dated Quentin Tarantino, right? She did, yeah. So yeah. so there could have been... Hey, the well, Church of Tarantino is in the Coppola connections. So there could have been, there could have been, yeah, if, 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 if that relationship had panned out differently, there could have been a, uh, there could have been a Coppola-Tarantino baby. It would have been... <laughs> I know. Yeah. That, that now that's that's Hollywood royalty right there. It, however, what what's the pressure on that child like? Yeah, right. Like you've got a grandfather, and then a mom and dad who are both like, how do you, you know, like that's a lot of pressure. They end, they they end up being a tax attorney or something like that. They they don't even they don't even yeah. attempt it. They're Jeff Cohen from the Goonies. They they yes. have a couple of they they, they do one <laughs> movie when they're a kid and then go. You know yeah. what? I'm gonna be I'm gonna be an attorney here. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna shake this thing off. Um, <laughs> well, let me ask you probably my favorite question to ask people, just because either makes them crumble or they or or, or yeah, I like I like to see where people go with this, which is. Which Coppola family member would you keep? But in doing so, you get rid of the collective oh. filmographies of the entire rest of the family. Oh. Who are we going with, Scott? That is tough. And I want it's your- between it's between the two heavyweights. I mean, I'm not going to pretend it's not. <clears throat> Do I get rid of Francis so that we can keep Nick and all his amazing films? Because I fucking love Mandy to the point where it's an obsession. Uh, and I love Mom and Dad. Like I love a lot of Nick Cage movies. However, I so love Apocalypse Now, but I think I've talked myself into it. I, I keep Nick Cage. I do. I, I know I have to get rid of the Godfathers, and especially Apocalypse Now, but it's Nick Cage. It just is. like uh, The the movies that he's been in, uh, my journey with him has been amazing. You got a lot more for your I money cannot as wait well. for Renfield. I, I, I mean, Mandy, I, I just... I, I, 
I, oh God, that and uh, Mom and Dad is such an underrated film. Like, oh, there are so many films that I love, and even some of his shit films. And he's made some. Even they have a part, a place, you know, like, I don't know, mm-hmm. the man, he's bulletproof, it feels like sometimes. Like Deadfall. Like, I can't give up Deadfall. <laughs> it's a crap movie. <laughs> but one of my favorite performances of any human beings because of just how no one told Nick no. And Nick said, hold, he's the original hold my fucking beer guy. They're like, hey, Nick, you think you can bring something to this role? He's like, hold my beer. It was so good. They There's brought fucking hangers! Like, <laughs> they brought it back for a second. Viva la fucking France, man! They brought it back for a second fucking time for no reason because mm-hmm. they thought they were going to get the same kind of gold and they just didn't. But it was just like, ah, oh, yeah, it's Nick. It's got to be Nick. Is that not the answer everyone says? No. Like, I feel like that's got to be the name. Oh. It's, Plus, it's, he's got such. He's got so many more films than Francis. So many, you get more for your money. Yes, I mean you're throwing away The Rock. You're throwing away Face Off. You're throwing away Con Air. You're throwing away Magic Men. You're throwing away um, Raising Arizona. You're throwing away those kind of movies. You know, like no, I can't. You know, yeah. <laughs> I forget, forget his later career. You, even the early stuff, like how you got to throw that away? That's it's. I don't know. That's just cinema. That's oh, yeah. the, I guess that's my era of growing up too. Like that's the nineties. Like he became the brand. He's the, he's the new version of what a Hollywood um, action hero was maybe in part because of Bruce Willis, you know, blazed the trail with Die Hard. but Nick cage had that summer. Has anyone had a better summer? Like a single summer. I'm sure you covered it on this podcast, but has anyone had a better single summer than his summer when there was a Con Air and Face Off come out? I don't know. I, th- I, th- I, think, I, I think we'll, I'll, I'll have to, I'll have to dig into that and do the research, do the numbers on that. But like, I, I would be interested to see who had, if there's any actor who's had a better year. Maybe yeah, like than, it's just one year, you know, yeah. maybe, I mean, maybe Tom Cruise will get it because of the billion, but, but, but also do adjust it for inflation. Yeah. Uh-huh. Cause Cruise made a billion this year with Top Gun, but what would the inflation have been in numbers with the prices for tickets for that summer that Nick Cage did both of those fucking movies? Yeah. Well, that's, that, 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 <laughs> that will definitely be a future episode of this here podcast. Um, before I let you go, Scott, I must ask you yes, sir. the most important question of this podcast, yes. which is what does Bill Murray say to Scott Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation? I have no fucking idea because I for, I was gonna I was gonna cheat I was gonna look it up I have not finished that movie all the way through just started one day had to stop it never got back to it so I feel terrible I saw you would send me the question I don't want to give up the sausage the sausage is made but and I said you know I'm gonna look this up and I was like no I'm not gonna cheat Petros I'm not gonna lie to him I'm not gonna cheat him because I don't know. Well, this, uh, is, this, Scarlet, is a- this is a frankly Scarlet I don't give a damn that's what I should have said damn it why didn't I come up with that first. Edit this out, and I said, frankly, Scarlet, her name's Scarlet, I don't give a damn. That's what he says at the end of the fucking movie. Perfect. Well, with that out of the way, (laughs) I must ask you, where's the best place to find you and both of your podcasts that you do, Scott? Where where can we keep up to date with everyone, Church of Tarantino and Cheeky Bastards? You can find the Cheeky Bastards and Church of Tarantino on all major podcast outlets. I do Tarantino bi-weekly, first Friday and third Friday of every month. Cheeky Bastards is usually the first Tuesday after the first Friday. I don't like to put it before the Tarantino one. Uh, you can find me on the socials, Tarantino. It's the church, at the Church of Tarantino for Instagram and Facebook, and at 
Church of QT Pod because Twitter does not allow you to have a long handle. Those sons of bitches, which I didn't know until after I did my did for Facebook and Instagram, so I would have had a more succinct title. Uh, Cheeky Bastards, same thing. You find us at the Cheeky Bastards podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and I think it's just uh, Cheeky Pod. I don't fucking know on Twitter, something like that. You <laughs> type in Cheeky Bastards. Oh, but it's spelled like Inglorious Bastards spells bastards. B a s t e. RDS, and that was intentional because if you spell it the regular way of j- bastards, you will get a cricket podcast from England. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we are not related, but uh, so it depends. Do you want to listen to cricket podcasts or do you want to listen to us talk shit about films? There's your choices. Uh, I'll, I'll take I'll take the two guys talking shit about films. Uh, thank you. I'm not a big cricket guy. So Scott, thank you so much for coming and making some Coppola connections with me. Thank you as always, Potfather. And there we go. Episode 58 of the podcast in the bank. A massive thank you to scott once again for coming and doing this and thank you to you guys for listening you are as ever the best people around and yeah it's uh it's a joy that you listen to this podcast and if you want to get involved in the conversation please do so you can jump at me on all the socials so that is at caged in pod on twitter instagram facebook letterbox tiktok and other places if they exist who knows anymore we're just trying we're out here trying um if you'd like to support the podcast and give me a little bit of money a little bit of cashola you can do so by heading over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod where there will be a new frequent mini series um happening over there for as little as five dollars a month um and that'll be lots of fun we'll have a frequent co-host um sizzle 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 you'll see who that is in due time um but if you'd like to support the podcast and don't want to give me money you can head on over to apple podcast spotify or wherever you're listening to this right now and give me a nice little five star rating and review always remember in your review to let me know what bill murray says to scarlett johansson at the end of lost in translation as for next week here on this here podcast i'll be talking to harley mumford of the fundamentals podcast all about the 2017 biographical drama the founder starring michael keaton and oh it's a fun one it's a really great one we go on off on some tangents all about mcdonald's obviously because it's a film about the advent of mcdonald's as a kind of global mega behemoth um franchise conglomerate source of evil or also do a fantastic vegan burger well it's not fantastic but it's it's possible and it's, it's it's good if you're feeling hungry and you're in a tight situation where there's not other options available (laughs) but it's a really fun one so please do join me next week when i'll be joined by harley to discuss that film as ever guys i've been petros pat syllabus 
your guide through the crazy world of the Coppola family tree. I'll catch you next week. And remember to stay caged in. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.